Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. But it's all about uh, climate change in the papers this morning. I've never seen so much of it. This UN report that came out yesterday, which is like code red to save the planet. It sounds like a Hollywood blockbuster movie, doesn't it? But it actually has to do with extreme weather. And it's all our fault. And the papers this morning, particularly the red tops, hammer away with caption boxes as to the state of the world now where it will be in 2030, where it will be in 2050, and where it will be at the end of the century. Uh, and uh, if, if I had an hour, I could go through it, but clearly I haven't got an hour to be going on about it. But the future is reversible. Global heating is dangerously close to being out of control. But if we start making huge changes between now and 2030, um, you know, we probably will be able to arrest it. I was looking at the graph section, and I know that there are, you know, you know you have people who aren't fans or believers in COVID. It's the same with with climate change. Not everybody believes in it. But statistics, um, you know, and and following the science just teach us so much and show us so much. Um, um, It's amazing, actually, because they break it down. When when you look at different newspapers this morning, they tell you, in fact, the different cities around the world that will be obliterated um, and the countries that will be in trouble because they figure that by 2050, uh, sea levels will rise by about two meters. By the end of the century, by three or four meters, they're, they're showing how temperatures have been changing r- rapidly since the 1950s. I mean, I guess that when that's when more cars were on the road, more industrialization, uh, you know, more affluence and things that went with it. But they talk about the 500 billion tons of CO2 that's being emitted and that we need to stop this 1.5% temperature increase by by 2050, or we're all finished, and our children and our grandchildren are finished. The country, the world isn't itself. I mean, the planet will survive, but we'll just be gone. But they talk about places like New Orleans will be gone, Miami will be gone, Dhaka, Calcutta, Bangkok, Jakarta, Ho Chi Minh City, places like that. Many coastal areas where you've seen coastal erosion uh, will just ramp up at a catastrophic rate. Also, one of the big changes, of course, in the early 1950s was the arrival of the first jet airliner. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, but there's very interesting reading, whether it's in the papers today or indeed online, where they talk about temperature rises. I mean, you will have at the ice caps in another 10 or 15 years, the Arctic, for instance, where there will be no ice at all uh, in summertime. Uh, there will you know, it'll be just completely gone and, you know... I mean, it's just boggling. But all of the papers this morning, just page after page and caption box after ca- caption box. It's it's riveting stuff for me, it is anyway. Uh, other than that, of course, we have a lot of uh, COVID-related stories with the registration open now for kids aged 12 to 15. And God knows we spoke about this on the air recently because not all parents are actually on board with having their, their children vaccinated. But um, they'll be getting the jab by the weekend if they so choose, according to the star today. Hospital numbers are up. I mean, there's... Um, a uh, full-on headline in the Echo this morning says that the CUH is at full throttle. Um, an awful lot of people in hospital, an awful lot of people going through our A and E's. They call it at full throttle, trying to care and provide care for an unprecedented number of, of patients who don't seem to be COVID-related patients, but everything else. I think maybe as more and more people are out and about, they're having more accidents and what have you more trips and falls and breaks, and, and then they, maybe they're trying to catch up with all of the businesses at the CUH. But we need to spare a thought for them because they're at full throttle at the moment, while there are only five COVID patients in the CUH at the moment. Only five. And there's only four in the University Hospital in Kerry. 
Um, so we've only got um, one in the Mercy. So like six COVID-related uh, patients in, in the whole of Cork City between the Mercy and the CUH. So it's got to be all sorts of other illnesses or all sorts of other accidents. But the, the cost to the welfare bill, bill of the pandemic has now risen to over 30 billion. So it'll be an awful lot higher than that when you add in all of the other figures that aren't welfare related, but it's, it's up nearly 50%. Uh, and we're, we're spending billions and billions on different forms of welfare, whether it's POP, the usual welfares, whether it's the EWS grants and stuff like that, you gotta add up to. Uh, someone's gonna have to pay it back. I've no idea who. It means a very, very expensive IOU to be handing on. Papers also this morning talk about other people trying to, uh, you know, the sort of real world issues. And I was talking about this yesterday. People trying to find a home, people on HAP. Uh, I hear tell uh, it's been told now that a lot of people, a lot of landlords are, are now selling their properties because they want to benefit from the sale. Now that prices are very high, they want to get in on the boom before the bust follows. So that's going to lead to an even bigger shortage of rental properties. But the examiner this morning breaks down the average rent uh, in Cork City now is 1524 you know, vastly ahead of what a mortgage would cost you for a reasonable property, 1,524. And think, in fact, I think there is, uh, I think um, Ema was telling me at the weekend that there is a, a bit of a battle, there's a bit of a war going on now between banks and mortgage providers where rates are dropping and dropping and rates for mortgages are at an all-time low while rents are at an all-time high. So in Cork City, it's 1,500. And twenty-four, and that's up, 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 year in, year out, month in, month out. So we're talking about a fifteen percent soar uh, in rent, um, and that's that's just since the start of the year. Uh, of course, there's all sorts of commotion now when it comes to trying to get an All Ireland hurling ticket. The Echo has it this morning that the All Ireland tickets will be rarer than ever. Firstly, there's huge hype over it. And secondly, um, Croke Park is below far, below 50% capacity. I think, what can Croke Park take? 90,000 or something? I think it'll be 40,000 at that. But um, I'll be coming back to that this morning because I saw um, a, a very uh, entrepreneurial individual down in Douglas at lunchtime yesterday selling hats, scarves, banners and bunting <laughs> from a table on the on the forecourse there on the plaza and a fair play I said I share the photograph on my Instagram page if you want to have a look and also the papers this morning talk about Ivana Bacek who has caved into pressure in the wake of Marion Gate and has apologised to the party leader Alan Kelly that was very embarrassing because Labour uh, members came out criticising the Marion Hotel lunch and then found out that one of their own TDs were as, was at it but it's a story that makes the front of uh, this morning's uh, mail. Also we see that Jeffrey Epstein's one of his longtime accusers has taken action against the Duke of York um, and has now filed papers that he sexually assaulted her when she was 17 years old. Virginia Dufresne makes the papers this morning it's uh, very much front and centre on Sky News this morning. The Irish Times carries it today some funny, some very interesting stories not, not funny, actually, because people genuinely are passionate about their foods in different parts of the world. But there's a blogger who's put up a video. It's been viewed 3.6 million times. And he said, we need to get rid of the word curry. The word curry should be ditched entirely. Or as, as they say these days, we need to unlearn the word. He's saying, and there's some, there's some truth in this. He says, white people couldn't be bothered to learn the actual names of our dishes so they just call everything from India or the Asian subcontinent curry. And as a food blogger, he's really annoyed about that. Anybody watching, there's a series of shows, I don't know where it is, on the BBC or Channel 4 or something. Um, and every week they do a different war. Last week it was chocolate wars. 
the next episode is going to be crisp wars. So last week, it's very entertaining. You know, if you think everything is happy, clappy, friendly, lovey, dovey in the chocolate world, when you go into your shop and you see all the different colors and brands and everything, it's a cutthroat business between the different manufacturers. So it was looking at all of the strategies and the tactics and the marketing and the creation of different bars by Mars, Cadbury's, Roundtree's, Thornton's, Hotel Chocolat. It was amazing. You know, the ones that were a hit and the ones that were a miss. Next week, it's crisps. So I can't, I can't wait for that, the crisp episode. But now Mars are laying it on thick, according to the Mirror today. And this is an example of the marketing and trying to stay one step ahead of um, Cadbury's and one step ahead of Roundtree's. They're going to have a spreadable Mars bar. It won't be a bar. It'll be Mars on toast. Mars in sandwiches. Mars on pancakes probably want to take on things like Nutella and what have you. So it'll be a swirly spread with the Mars bar taste. And happy birthday, happy 50th birthday to our very own Roy Keane, because Keno is 50 today. He was born in 1971 on the 10th of August, and there's a lovely pullout in the star today to commemorate his 50 years on the planet. And also there's another one in the star that talks about how, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Apparently Keno could have been a boxer. He was a handy boxer and trained um, with the seniors when he was only nine years old. Uh, he went into soccer, obviously, but he didn't have the most successful start, according to the star. He was turned down for the Irish schoolboy squad at 14 because he was just too small. Do you know something? They said the very same about Christy Ring. He'd be a great hurler if he was just another few inches taller. Uh, he said um, that he was also turned down by English clubs so he applied and joined Cove Ramblers in 1989. I suppose that's how you, that would be called, getting in by the back door. Uh, and it was Brian Clough who liked what he saw and gave Cove Ramblers £47,000 in the transfer deal in the summer of 1990. Some great stories on Keen in the papers this morning. Happy birthday, Keno. That and lots more besides between now and midday. Text always 6814106. But you know what's capturing everybody's attention? Um, I mean, he's not as sexy or as good looking as Fungi the dolphin. But at the same time, Wally the walrus is giving us an awful... Yeah, I know, a sexy dolphin. My apologies for that. It was out before I realized it. Funky, I suppose, or good looking or attractive or whatever. <laughs> Things can only get better. <laughs> But what was he saying before she started laughing hysterically? But at the same time, of course, this dolphin, Wally, has captured everybody's attention. Oh, unless you're a boat owner or a rib owner, because he's around the coast of Cork wrecking people's boats and, and ribs. Don't know what he's doing in this part of the world, but he's giving people an awful lot of entertainment. Um, but let's get the latest update. Michael Scully is down west. In fact, he's the man behind Clonakilty Distilleries, and he joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. So he's resting in boats, he's sleeping in boats, he's sinking boats. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Well, he's actually a walrus, to be correct. Wally the walrus, we call him. And um, he uh, he appeared in one of the coves just outside Clannacilty yesterday morning. He's, unfortunately, he did sink one boat. It was an old timber fishing boat. But uh, thankfully, um, the guys that owned it managed to retrieve it and they have it back on dry land again. Yeah. And then he um, he hopped on board um, the boat next door, which is the boat we use here at the distillery to harvest our rocks for our Mickey Gin. And um, and he has ensconced himself and made that his home for the last 20 hours or so. He's hopped on and off one or two times for a swim and back up again. And, um, and he's sleeping and basking in the sun and enjoying life. 
And you're keen to just leave him there, are you? Yeah, definitely. He's, uh, yeah, yeah he, he's causing no damage to the boat. The boat is big enough to carry his weight. Is the boat on the water? Is it on a marina? Is it on a pier or what? Uh, no, it's floating on a free mooring a few hundred metres from the shore. Have you gone out to so him? He, uh, yes, we, 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 we got another boat and um, and went quite close to him. And um, he's quite happy. He doesn't really um, worry too much about humans. He just gets on with the busy life of having his snooze in between his feet. And um, as long as we're careful, and as long as we don't go too close to him, then he's um, then he's quite, he's, he's quite happy and I, um, just does his own thing. Yeah, are you aware that he's been moving around quite a bit between you know? Obviously, I imagine he must come from the Arctic or somewhere like that, Greenland or Iceland originally, and then he was off the French coast and the Welsh coast and the Wexford, Wexford coast, and another started in Valencia. Now the he's getting around. He's really getting around, yes, but um, I think he came to Connacilty just um, just to sample our, um, our gin and our new minky vodka. <laughs> he heard about it and went for a spin. What did you call it? Do you call it minky vodka or what kind? Mink, minky, minky vodka and gin. Minky vodka, yes. It's, it's named after the minky whales, <laughs> which swim in these waters as well. It just shows how diverse the waters are off the Galley Head and West Cork that we've got these whales, dolphins and, and Noah walrus. Good for you. All right. Um, is he is he dangerous? No, is he approachable? Is he like I'm he- sure he's. I'm sure he's very dangerous. He's. he's um, from what I've read, he's a four year old male. Um, he's come down from Norway. I think the scientists think that he may have um, fallen asleep in an iceberg and just floated floated off. Um, Go away, off really? A bit disorientated, but he's. Um, yeah, he, he's about the size of a big bull. So he's a, he's a really huge animal and with tusks maybe six, eight, nine inches long. So um, I certainly wouldn't want to get too close to him. But um, but he's not aggressive, provided you don't disturb him. He's he, I wonder, is he lonely, though, without the company of other walruses or whatever? He must be. He must be. And um, and I understand that that nobody really understands why he's on his own. It's very, very unusual to see a walrus in Irish waters. I'll get the background yeah, from the Irish whale and dolphin group in a second, but is he, I mean, is he causing a bit of a stir down there? Everybody wanting to see him, get close to him? There's a lot of traffic jams down a very narrow road at the moment, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, people love it. it it's, it's, it's quite difficult, actually, to see him from the shore because he's He's asleep in the boat. Um, all you can see is, is just his top. But, um, but I, I'm sure he'll start swimming around at a later point. Nice one. And then head off on the next leg of his holidays, I suppose. What do you think? Well, he's more than welcome to stay in Clannacilty as long as he wishes. We're, we're not going to be moving the boat. And, um, and we're very happy if he wants to lose a full week to rest. And just quickly then on Clannacilty Distillery, you, the, your family background was farming, wasn't it, for generations, hundreds of years? Um, yeah, we go back we go back eight, nine generations in the same family farm by the ocean. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, we just got a, a moment of madness and decided to, um, to start the distillery. And um, we're very thankful. It's going very well since. And, um, yeah, we're, it, it's... Um, it's a success story so far. And have you laid down whiskey and while it's maturing, you're producing vodka and gin, is it? Yeah, we also produce a whiskey. We, well, our own whiskey will be mature next spring. And um, up to then, we're, we're sourcing whiskey from other distilleries to other, and then we're finishing them at our warehouse up by the Atlantic Ocean and finishing them in, in the sea air under different, uh, different casks. So we also do a whiskey on the market as well as our vodka and gin. And hasn't there been a there's been a massive explosion in gin popularity, hasn't there? 
I mean, like yeah, you go, if you go into a hotel or a bar now, you look behind the counter, like you can see dozens of different bottles from all over the yeah. country. Never mind everywhere. the world. Everywhere, everywhere, it's become a very, very popular drink. As a, as has whiskey. So, um, and is it hard I to find a really unique good. space now in the marketplace because there are so many? Like you have a yeah, gin, well, Kinsale is a gin, Dingle is a gin, Port McGee is a gin, Carsevine is you know everyone. Sure, sure. We distill the gin from uh, from whey alcohol, which is derived from the cows on our dairy farm. So that's quite unique. So it's a real glass to glass story. Amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Continued success with that at Clonakilty Distillery. Thanks for the update on Wally the Walrus, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Neil. Cheers. Let's get a little bit more background, actually, on our recent visitor to our shores. Podrick Hooley uh, is behind is with the, the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. He joins my phone. Podrick, good morning. Good morning. Why is he in this part of the world? Why is he visiting? Uh, well, we don't know, uh, but uh, we certainly... We hope he's returning. Uh, he's trying to find a track that will take him back uh, on the, on a northbound passage. Uh, um, I mean, walruses are just very visible when they're you know when when, when they're traveling because they spend about two thirds of their lives, it seems, uh, resting, and that requires them to come ashore. Or in this case, he's not really coming to shore because he doesn't really need to because he's finding all these wonderful platforms to rest on. But that's just a fact of their biology. They they're large animals, they need to rest a lot. And he is doing large travels. If you think about it, you know, the, the southernmost location he's been has been Bilbao and Santander in Spain. Didn't know that. Uh, and, he, and he, yeah, and he, we know that for a fact, yeah. Oil, and we, we, you know, we can, we can join all these dots because, you know, he's got unique marking feet, features, you know, we can identify him. So there's no question it is the same animal who's, who's done a, a minimum distance of 2,800 kilometres travel if you join uh, join up those dots. So, it, you know, he obviously is tired after these long tracks. I mean, the first place he arrived was Clonay Strand in County Waterford. So he, he is pushing west. And it does look like he, you know, you know, fairly shortly, he'll end up in something like back Valencia, Ireland, which brings him right back to the very first location that he was first seen on the 14th of March. You so know? he has some kind of radar then. He's, he'll be able to, like a, like a salmon, he can track back where he was, can he? Well, we don't know. So it'll be very interesting to see if he actually does go right back to Valencia Island because, uh, you know, that would hardly be a coincidence uh, if he does. But uh, after that, we really want to see him turn that corner at Slayhead so he finally starts the track north. The big question is, can he get back? There's a lot of counter currents running down from the high Arctic, like the Faroese current. Can he actually get back? And he probably can. Uh, most of the, the walrus experts and we, you know, we know next to nothing about walruses but most of the people uh, up on sort of places like Greenland and Svalbard who do know about uh, sort of this species would say that they're very strong swimmers and he should be able to, there's no real reason why he can't get back and he he looks in healthy condition. Like when we saw him first in in in, in March, you know, Brendan Price of the Irish Seal Sanctuary uh, was saying he he looks to be in quite good body shape. You know, some people were saying, "Oh, he's skinny," and the poor thing. Would you look at him? You know, he the needs first to be story strong. that I read on Wally was that he was dying, and of course that was nonsense. Yeah. 
I mean, it was complete nonsense, and we were saying that from the start. I mean, there's there's always a narrative uh, when a, a, an unusual vagrant species like a walrus turns up that somehow we as a species need to intervene. We need to help them. What are you going to do to save the animal? And, of course, our attitude is that sometimes an informed do-nothing is the best option. Yeah. And this is a really good case in point. How old is he? Uh, we've no idea what age he is. We've also no idea where he comes from. You know, there, there was this nonsense story that he floated down in an iceberg from Greenland. I mean, that, that, that was kind of funny. But it's kind of stuck. And, you know, Michael's still, you know, repeating the story. But so, so is everybody. You know, it's remarkable. We haven't a bull's notion where he came from. Uh, but he is a young animal. We also don't really know his gender. Uh, but, you know, people are saying it's a, it's a he uh, because he looks a little bit of the rough side. Perhaps. You can hardly but turn him like over and look like, can you? <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. But he, he is a sub-adult, so he's a juvenile animal, n- not nearly as big as, a, as an adult can get. So, And you can see he's actually got bigger, bigger than uh, five and a half months since he was Do, Does he need massive quantities of fish? They don't eat fish. They eat things like mollusks, shellfish. Uh, and and we actually have a lot of the same species of shellfish that they would have in Arctic waters. Like the, the place where he spent most time was Tenby in Wales. And that's quite a famous scallop ground. Uh, so he is, it seems, finding plenty of food. And it's one thing about walruses, like, you know, like with cetaceans or whales and dolphins if they don't feed regularly they'll very soon expire you know they they, they have a big metabolism so they do need to feed that machine Amazing. so he's, he's clearly finding plenty of food is it, would he be regarded as a pest though at the same time if he is damaging boats no I mean he sank he sank a couple and God knows he must have damaged others yeah, well, he's just doing what walruses do. They haul out, uh, and like you know, he he must be finding this great crack because, you know, to be honest, you know, every time he hauls out in in his natural habitat, he'd have to be looking over his shoulder to check that there's not a polar bear uh, around. So he doesn't have that problem here. Uh, so he is quite fortunate. But no, he is a protected species. And one thing we would urge, you know, I was down with the family yesterday, and there were lots of people down at Dunning Cove yesterday watching him from land. Please leave the boats away don't go out on boats there is a risk that it'll just become a little bit of a fungi type circus down there if you can watch them perfectly well bring a pair of binoculars watch them from land they are potentially like every large mammal they are potentially dangerous uh, you can watch them from land and cause them absolutely no disturbance if he's hauled out on, on, on one of the local boats but uh, you know there, there is the potential as always with wildlife for this situation to go pear-shaped. Yes, okay. The way of avoiding that is avoiding... We we saw idiots yesterday, you know, almost tried to get onto Michael's boat from their own boat, actually leave their boat and and, and climb on until somehow they they saw sense, probably when they realised how large he was. Yeah, they were probably looking for a selfie with him. Absolutely. So some non- you know, people who should know better. Uh, so I mean, we were people. We you know we we were screaming at them from the shore to get the hell off the boat and to give the animal the distance. But you know, sometimes there's just no counting for the stupid things that our species will do. <laughs> well, words of warning then, and good advice from you because we're seeing a lot. I mean, you, you'll see seals and you know dolphins off our coast and even up the River Lee. I was going over on a rib to Dingle there a few weeks back from from Port McGee and Carasavine, and I saw the most. Amazing. Is it right to call them a shoal of minke whales? 
Or is it a herd? Yeah, well, an aggregation, a group, a pod. Yeah, there's pod. lots of collective nouns for them. But the, the whale watching is fantastic. And I, as Michael said, our marine biodiversity is amazing along the entire Celtic Sea area, South Coast, and obviously West Cork. Uh, they've kind of cornered the market, if you like, in commercial whale watching. Uh, but there's a wonderful, it's been a wonderful summer uh, with great whale watching since the boats started going back out whale watching. So it's, you know, always West, West Cork and across the West Kerry. So he, he's in a, he's in an environment where there are plenty of other marine mammals, uh, but he is in a re- very strange environment. And we're wondering, you know, we were swimming there down in West Cork last week and the, during the heat wave and the water was, you know, 18, nearly 19 degrees at times. And we were wondering, how is this animal surviving in, in such warm water? And hopefully, hopefully he'll he'll find his way back north uh, in, in good shape. Fingers crossed he'll make it back again. It's been a pleasure talking to you, enlightening talking to you. Thank you so much, Podrick. Might stay in touch with okay. you. Cheers for now. Podrick Hooley with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Um, I think that really uh, warrants a song for Wally the Walrus. I think you'll agree. <laughs> you Beatles fans um, it's interesting to listen to the ping pong stereo of uh, way back in the day as Mark calls it it was uh, production engineers and studios boys with toys the ping pong stereo and then of course the Beatles and I am a walrus for Wally the raw walrus down west lines open at 1850 104 106 also the fastnet race is on, is on I was talking to Mick Mulcahy this morning he's out down following the fastnet race there's not a whole lot of talk about the fastnet race so I'm just mentioning it in passing because it is on you would have thought that um, well I suppose because it's outdoorsy there's no bother having uh, the fastnet race around the fastnet rock and it's fairly calm out there so all good at the moment anyway a lot of emails and texts and a couple of thank yous and shout outs would it be possible to get for you to thank on your show the amazing wonderful person who found my house keys on a horrible wet Friday evening on Grand Parade and took them all the way to Anglesey Street they didn't leave their name, but I would really like to offer them something. Brilliant, kind person. Hope you get to read this out from Mandy. If you were that person who did that gesture, Mandy would like to get in touch. And if you get in touch with me, I can hook you guys, uh, hook you guys up. And, and another one here, because this has belonged to an older gentleman whose glasses were lost on the Douglas Road, somewhere between Johnson and Perrot and Douglas Village, an older man's glasses. And Tony called in on his behalf. Uh, Tony's a big fan of the show and if you could just give it a shout out it would be great because this elder gentleman and they're very expensive you know the older you get the dearer glasses are because there's all sorts of different prescriptions in them and he's lost without them so that's um, imagine it was probably yesterday somewhere between Johnson and Parrot and Douglas Village because you get in touch and we can reconnect those thank you as well to Jamie local car company selling flags and bunting flags to you.ie uh, and a lot of other ones related then to uh, the, the hurling at the weekend I was in Croke Park for the Cork against Kilkenny hurling match and was able to sit with others why am I not able to sit and do the same at Turner's Cross can someone please find out for me I wasn't aware of that actually um, what kind of percentage can you have at a, at a soccer match by comparison to say uh, to a football or a hurling match and um, and this is sad because, uh, you know, again, an awful lot of emails and texts and calls from people who literally are desperate to find somewhere to live whose clock is ticking. We're a family of five, my partner and three children. We have been, we have uh, to be out of our current accommodation in three weeks time. The landlord selling up. We're not looking for handouts or anything like that, but I was wondering if you could ask your listeners if anyone has a property in the city or surrounding areas, like say a three bedroom house to rent. We have the deposit. We can move in straight away. We've been renting for the last six years. We have glowing references. 
We're just finding it impossible to find a place after going to many, many viewings, but no luck so far. Hope you can give this a shout on the air. I won't give out your private details, but because reading that email, you can sense the desperation from it. I think, unfortunately, landlords a lot of the time want house shares. You know, they want, you know, three bedrooms occupied by people who are paying uh, independent rent themselves and it's all cumed into one monthly rent. And the reason for that, of course, is that they can get more money that way. Three people sharing as opposed to one family. So I understand your desperation. Uh, yeah, thank you. An awful lot of other ones then with regards to bunting and flags for the hurlers. A company called Prospect Design in Dublin is great for all things related to bunting and flags. That's great, but it'd be better to keep it in Cork. William Neville's in Yall is selling Cork flags. And Jennifer said, I just drove through Douglas and there are people selling Cork flags from a table close to Casey's Chipper. Hope this helps. It does help, Jennifer. Fair play to you. Because I actually saw it yesterday and a buddy of mine sent me a photograph of it. they got the long table, like a trestle table set up and they're selling mad. So Douglas Village is the place if you want to pick up stuff. Um, I'm assuming they're there every day, that it wasn't just a once-off yesterday. But can I just imagine, ma- mention, with regards to good deeds, does anybody remember a story I did some time back? A fella called Morgan, who's got a company called ADM Security and 24-Hour Locksmiths. You might recall it because he... Um, goes out and he does free call-outs uh, for children locked in cars. I remember doing that on the air some time back. He doesn't charge for it. It's just one of the things they do. But I wanted to give them a shout-out, particularly Morgan, and also Cormac, uh, because my, you know, your automatic electronic keys, sometimes they can be very temperamental or they get old. Well, they did a great job for me at the weekend. They came out and took the key away. Eventually, they had to take the ignition barrel out because one part has to talk to the other part and, part. and they did fantastic work across the weekend and everything, which I thought was brilliant. So thank you so much to both the Medadium Security, Morgan and Cormac. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Lots of texts and different topics yesterday, which we'll come back to at the course of the morning. My apologies to Martin. I didn't get to talk to him yesterday. He joins me by phone on. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Um, I'm well, and uh, more to the point, how the heck are you? Well, every day is a struggle, Neil, because, uh, as I said, I have long COVID and I have huge problems with my breathing to the extent trying to uh, tie my shoes or have a shower is a huge problem. I'm currently under um, Dr. Oshin O'Connell, who is a respiratory consultant and interventional pulmonologist in the bonds. And uh, I'm waiting to go in there on uh, September the 21st. And how long is this? When were you, when did you get COVID? Uh, the 8th of January. Eight months ago? Eight months ago, yeah. Back and forth to hospital, terrible breathing yeah. problems. What's your smell and taste like? I don't have any. Fatigue, tiredness, headaches? Fatigue, tiredness, no, not so much headaches. Um, they were there at the beginning, um, but thanks to Douglas Medical Centre, all the doctors there, they were excellent people and uh, they got me through it because I really didn't even know who I was, Neil. Um, it, it just happened overnight. I was Went to work as normal, just got a bloodshot eye. Uh, the following morning I went to work and uh, I had a second one and uh, rang my, my boss in Dublin and I was told to leave the premises yeah. and get in touch with my GP. And I did and she just said to me, Martin, you have it. 
And I just said to her, have what? And she went, you have COVID. So she sent me for a test that day at 3.20. And by the time I had the test, I couldn't even stand up. That's all in the one day? All in the one day. All in the one day from 8 o'clock in the morning till 20 past 3. So you would have gone home, isolated, taken to the bed, hit the paracetamol, etc. And hoped that it would just pass. Pass, exactly, yeah. And um, it it didn't. I went steadily downhill uh, with the sweats, this ferocious cough. Uh, my breathing then started. Then I got to the stage that I was delirious. I uh, didn't know who I was. Um, my family are not in Cork. Um, so they were calling and they were actually getting the neighbours uh, to check to make sure I was still alive. Go away. So, so you were in the home, in the house on your own? On Cle- my own, yes. Clearly no appetite, I suppose. Oh, nothing. Food didn't even enter into anything. Uh, um, some of my, my colleagues from work, uh, one very good friend, uh, he was calling four or five times a day and I wouldn't even remember talking to him. Delirious. They Delirious, yeah. yeah. How yeah. long did that go on for? Uh, about five days. And then it started to ease, but... Uh, the cough I had for probably seven weeks. And then the breathing to date is, hasn't changed whatsoever. Now, is that shortness have, of breath then, yeah? Shortness of breath. It's when I bend over halfway, if I'm trying to tie my shoe, uh, I get out of the shower and I'm trying to dry myself. Uh, I can't do it. I have to sit on a chair. <clears throat> you back at work? No. You think there's 25,000 people in Ireland like you? Is that the number? Yes. I, there is a nurse up the road from me who, um, she worked in Finbars and she's a young girl, she's 32. And um, I spoke to her just recently because she has the same problems. And um, she told me there was a website and there's at least 25,000 people that are suffering. Did you have any underlying conditions before any of this that you got hammered so badly? I have uh, osteoarthritis, which is very far advanced. But since I got COVID, I now seeing John McCarthy, who is the rheumatoid consultant in the band. That's got worse, is it? Oh, sprained my shoulders, my neck, everywhere. Good God. And, uh, did you get vaccinated? Don't eat her, I suppose. I did. I got vaccinated. They gave me AstraZeneca on the first dose. And five years ago, I had a blood clot in my right leg. And I told them on the day that I did have it. And um, I was more or less told, you're taking it at your own risk. Wow. Wow, because that was a worry with Astra, wasn't it, clotting in? It, it said was. You were giving it to you at your own risk, but you could have got Pfizer or something else, couldn't you? I could have. And uh, within, I got it on a Wednesday, I think, on Tuesday. I, um, Dr. Helen me she admitted me to CUH because my breathing had got extremely bad, uh, worse than normal. And she was looking, or was getting consultants there to look for blood clots in my lungs. Misfortune. 
Really interesting. And do you think that your lungs have been permanently damaged now? Well, when I met with Dr. O'Sheen um, about two, two months ago, uh, he checked me over and went through everything and I asked him afterwards, I said, exactly what what are we looking for here? And he said, Martin, so all the tests are done. Um, he said, I would be looking at maybe scarring in your lungs or damage to your heart. God. And what do you make of people who don't want to get vaccinated, won't get vaccinated, uh, don't believe in it? Um, well, I, I say to those people, they're very foolish. And I would ask anybody to step into one of my shoes for one day and see what COVID-19 can do to you. It can just turn your whole life upside down. We don't know if we're ever going to be um, in full health again after this. I don't know what's down the road for me in the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. Um, If I get a cold or flu, I'm going to be terrified because um, I'll probably end up in the hospital. I will not be able to stay at home because my chest is going to be very weak now. Will will you get back to work, do you think? Well, I I, uh, will have all these tests done in, as I said, on the 21st of September, but um, with with my uh, situation with the osteoarthritis, uh, my workplace now must do an ergonomic assessment to make the place uh, more work accessible and my workspace more accessible. So after speaking to our MD, um, once I get uh, the okay from a doctor or a consultant to go back to work, then they will put that in place. Yes, but that only uh, will work if you have the energy or the breathing ability to be able to go about your business. Correct, Neil. Correct. Uh, And until these test results are back, I suppose... um, yeah, I'm. I'm just going to have to sit it out. So, how do you see. spend? How have you spent the last eight months then? Personally, very, very uh, sick. The, the last eight months, I, I suppose, I have a big interest in, in antiques and restoring them, and um, that keeps me going. Um, but then every day turns into the next day, and every night turns into the next night. And I go out for my walks, but because of having a combination of osteoarthritis and now with the breathing problems, it makes it difficult for me. I get tired extremely fast. And uh, I don't know if you know, with osteoarthritis, your leg can go from under you at any time. So, I mean, I have walked with a cane for seven years now. Oh, your breathing sounds very, very bad. Yeah, on top of this, then I needed to have a biopsy two weeks ago because they found something on my upper back by my between my lung and my left shoulder. Are you very down about all of it? Uh, no. You know what, Neil? I go to the bands for physiotherapy a couple of times a week and I always have to pass the oncology ward. And I always look and I say to myself, you're not going in there. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah, yeah. And I spoke to a guy outside the bonds one day 
she was there with a minibus, very nice minibus, tinted windows, everything on it. And he was having a cigarette and I said to him, if security catch you, you know, I said, you're going to get killed. So I said, that's a beautiful bus. And then he said, it is. He said, some of the people have to come from the back end of Kerry for seven hours for their treatment. Chemo and radiation and what have you. Correct, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you I were counting your blessings, I suppose, were you? I, I was counting my blessings, Neil. Uh, things are bad, but they're not that bad. Yeah, but it could have killed you, you know. I suppose to, you know, well, you're lucky it, to be alive. It could have killed me. I mean, I, I would, hands down, always thank Douglas Medical Centre, Niall and Alice and Helen. They called every day, checked in on me. They were extremely good people. But I suppose what really gets me down, uh, Neil, is that for the likes of me, our health minister has absolutely no idea how many people are suffering long COVID in this country. Why they haven't set up a register for us so we can register online. Why is there not a free clinic for us to go and visit? Mm where we can get uh, respiratory training for our breathing again. Mm. We're, we're actually absolutely forgotten about in this area. You didn't, try a, you didn't try a salt chamber or anything like that, or an oxygen chamber? I didn't, no. Yeah, yeah. No, because you see, the problem is now that we, us people, we get 203 euro a week. I'm one person paying a mortgage of 660 yeah. per month. I went to Abbey Court House and I never in my life, I've worked 45 years and I've never ever taken any welfare of any description. So I went there because I thought, okay, I'm paying 240 to this consultant, I'm paying 190 I know, nothing, uh, nothing back. Yeah. No, and my health insurance would pay it in six months' time. But there, I can't tell that to the consultant at the time. I know, I know. You know, you're going to wait six months. And um, then your doctor's fees, etc. Um, so I went in and I said, could we get a temporary medical card? And because I can't drive, um, could I get a temporary bus pass? And when I walked into the girl, she said, look, I don't think you're entitled to anything. So I asked to see a welfare officer and she said, you'll have to email him. I said, look at me. I said, I can barely walk. I can barely breathe. I said, can you not email him and see if he's available this morning to speak to me? Girl was lovely. She emailed him. She said, wait in the hall. I went and waited in the hall for 20 minutes and I was called and his office was right beside that girl's office. Mm. I walked in, and before I sat down, now, before I opened my mouth, his first statement to me was, we're not here to top you up. We're here for people that have no money. And I said to him, did I ask you for money? Did I even mention money? That is an entirely different story. I want to hear a little bit more about that, Martin, but I want you to hold on there if you can. I hope you're not under any kind of pressure because I don't want to cut you off. I want to hear the end of that story after 10. 
Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Emerald Music Station of the Year. Cork's Red FM. Martin, I don't want to keep you much longer because I know it takes a lot out of you, but I just wanted to finish the story. The Abbey Courthouse, you, I don't want any names, clearly, but I am yeah. interested in what you were told and how you were handled. Yeah, I was basically just told, Neil, that, um, as I said previous, that they weren't there to top me up. They were only there for people who didn't have any money. Now, as I said, I never mentioned money, ever. I mentioned to the girl and to this man that I was looking to see if I could get a temporary medical card because of the cost of consultants and doctors and also for me that has to get to the bonds a couple of times travel travel your 203 would be sickness benefit wouldn't it illness benefit that's it yeah. exactly okay yeah. and, and what was the response to that then uh, I was told I was not entitled to anything okay um, that was more or less just me you know, get up and leave Okay, so what happens? You eat into your whatever savings you have, is savings, it? Savings, correct, yeah. You have to. And, and this is what annoyed me last week when I read about a certain, a certain publican speaking about getting 15,000 per week subsidy from our government. Not one TD or any minister got in touch with me. I gave an interview to the examiner on the bank holiday May weekend. Uh, regarding COVID and what we were suffering. And that one TD from Cork contacted me thereafter. Mm. Mm. Now, my thing is, I have paid my taxes all my life, like everybody else that works. And I feel that if somebody is getting 15000 a week subsidy, in an average month, that's €60,000. And the statement that that man made was like giving me a slap in the face because he's getting this kind of money and I can barely pay my mortgage. Is there a risk that you could lose your home? uh, Correct. This is it. And, and like, nobody contacted me, no minister, and said, look, is how can we do something here? How can we help? I'm just not speaking for myself. You're talking about the forgotten 25,000, are you? No, All the others, like, correct. Yeah, yeah. All these people like me, that maybe a husband and a wife with young children, it's not our fault that we got COVID. It's not our fault that we're in this situation. We, yeah, it must be uh, very uh, frustrating. Yeah, it gets to me. This was like I, I mean, I I saw red when I when I read this online. I went, I do not believe it. This man lost his father and his mother in law during that period. Why would he make such a statement like that? That COVID would last for another ten years. I he said, "When the drink is in, the stupidity comes out, or worse to that effect." And apologise. Well, yeah, but I mean, we all know when when you have drink in you, whatever's on your mind. Yeah, you I know, but he's putting it down to kind of pub banter amongst mates, or you know, a bit of drink. Yeah, talk. well, I would ask him to step into my shoe. Oh, without a doubt, I don't know. I mean, listen, I don't know how accurate the statement about the fifteen grand a week is. I know it sounds like a scratched record on that, but. Walk in your shoes when you hear of the 1.7 billion they're investing in Cork City streets. Walk in your shoes when they're talking about these 
uh, five high-tech um, robot trees they've installed at a cost of 350,000 a year to maintain, you know, like, so that the air is clearer to breathe, but you can't breathe. Yeah. All you wanted was a bus pass and a few bob. Yeah, Uh, like all I want until I can go back to my work, and I'm sure I speak for everybody else, they're in the same boat. I have seen people online who have to learn how to walk after COVID. So, and that was a young man of 52 with three small children. Good God, I know, I know. I I sometimes think about that man when I think about my own situation, and I say to myself, Jesus, how is he surviving? You know, they have three children to bring up. They have a mortgage. Well, it's kind of you to look at those who are in more desperate situations, but yours isn't the greatest and 203 a week with a mortgage to pay all of this, the uh, consultants to pay for the travel up and down to the bonds. Because you're coming from West Cork, aren't you? No, I'm from Douglas. Okay. I'm from Donnybrook. Why did I think yeah. you were down west? Okay, all right. <laughs> no, no, Donnybrook. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not too bad, but still in all, there's still an awful lot of fees and bills. and. But, but everything is coming got, in. Like, is your appetite I, back? No. So you lost no, weight? I, I only eat small, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of my colleagues that have come and seen me now, uh, it was the first thing they said they didn't recognize me because <laughs> I was so thin. God. But, you know, you get to the stages where your food, it doesn't taste the same anymore, so you're not inclined to eat it. Um, it doesn't, you know, you don't have the smell. You know, when you walk in, your dinner's cooking. The smell of death. And even All if you eat, you can't taste what you're eating. Is the taste still not back, no? Oh, no. Nothing. And have you, just finally, I I mean, I won't keep you much longer, but I'm very, very happy to give you an opportunity to share your story. It's a horrifying story. But have they told you that all of this will be well again? No. No, okay. But I mean, certainly you have issues maybe with lung scarring or heart damage, but will your smell and taste come back even? Well, when I spoke to the consultants and different consultants and doctors that I have spoken to, uh, because I have been in every hospital in Cork apart from the Mercy. Every hospital I've been in since this started. And every consultant I have mentioned it to, because it's the question, the very first question I'm going to ask them is, is this permanent for me? And they tell me they can't answer that mm. because it's all new and they don't know enough about it. Now, on, on the... Examiner interview, uh, the reporter that done that interview, uh, she spoke to one of the head guys in some hospital in Belfast, and he said the HSC has seen nothing yet from the results of COVID, the people that are going to have chest problems and lung problems uh, down the road. All right, my man. Listen, I wish I wish you well on your journey. Um, no, no more than that can I do, but listen to your story, you know, and and, and yeah. file it away for and an I, opportunity. I appreciate you uh, taking this call and putting the story out there because I just want people in Cork and around Ireland to be aware of how we have to suffer and to be aware to be safe from COVID and Delta. Take their shots. Do what we're told to do and try and avoid it because you definitely don't want to be where I'm at. Okay, okay. Or anybody else. Look after yourself, Martin. Do feel free to stay in touch. 
Okay, Neil, and thank you very much for your time. All the best. Lovely man. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you, Martin. Good luck. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Many, many people uh, texting and a few emails as well with regards to my conversation yesterday on fibromyalgia. I don't mean to turn this into a medical FM, but uh, many of the people who were on were saying that often people say, oh, you're imagining it. It's all in your head. Loads and loads of texts and people disputing that clearly. Others saying it does have definitely issues regarding trauma in your past uh, and many people then talking about their own journeys. Now, thank you for all of those. Others recommending diet change. Turmeric was very much up there. Uh, also, CBD oil and issues like that. Um, now, somebody's been asking also, in fact, more and more texts coming in saying, you know, you spoke about a product yesterday. What was it? Nature's Aid, the turmeric. It's the 8,200 milligram dose. Uh, it's available in McCabe's Pharmacy. It's available in Phelan's. BlackRock Hall, I've also got texts from people saying that it can be bought online, you know, the likes of Amazon and things like that. So I'm happy to pass that on. Um, again, everything comes with a caveat in these matters that a chat with the GP may not be a, a bad idea. Uh, but it made different, huge differences in some of the people on the air yesterday. One caller in particular on the turmeric said it absolutely changed her life and she got her entire life back again. Um, without wanting to be critical of all, all medics or all those in the medical practice and doctors and GPs, because I think it is changing slowly. But I think that we're way too fast to be dishing out prescriptions. Nobody ever asks enough about your mental health or about how you're feeling other than the, the pain or the suffering or the illness that you have. That should happen happen more rather than here's the prescription, go to the chemist. Uh, and I think a lot of stuff can actually come from nature. And that's why I talk of things like turmeric and awful lot and other products like that. Anyway, happy to pass that on again. Uh, a lot of other texts and emails. Yesterday we were chatting with uh, the mother of a son who came out as gay uh, at the age of 10 and the homophobic abuse and trolling and bullying that she received. Um, chatted with Jerry Buttermer about it then afterwards. Uh, interesting text here saying, I have three kids, two are gay. My eldest daughter is straight and she won't accept her sibling's sexuality. We have pulled her aside and told her she's homophobic, but she just doesn't see it and just doesn't accept it. Uh, lots then on uh, Marion Gate or the Marion Hotel. Regarding the gathering in the Marion, the politicians at that dinner ate like all others. They forgot what was going on. Eating bread is soon forgotten. My son worked on the COVID ward back in December, January, February and March in a Munster hospital. He had two weeks with no pay as he was a student. The rest of the time working, uh, he was paid 10 euro an hour. He's, he has seen it all. He's my hero. I also lost my father at Christmas and only 10 people were allowed at the funeral. We will get to bury his ashes later this month with family coming home. I can't wait to have the politicians call at my door, bring it on. They're a disgrace. I'm thinking of running myself. They seem to get money for jam or money for lunch in the Marion. Uh, next time you have one of your Hall cozy chats, <laughs> you might actually pull him up on the absolute shambles of a government he's running, on the constant lies they tell on the failure after failure of the party. Maybe ask him how they lie about going into government with Fina Gale, how they lie about banking being bailed out. Maybe do that instead of the soft questioning you asked him the last time he was on. Well, saddened that you feel it was soft. I don't believe it was. Not the interview I remember, but... Um, oh, listen, it isn't for the one to trying or senior politicians. They're just very slow or indeed do not respond at all. Remember, Margaret Buttermer got 90 days for not wearing a mask, Neil. Leo Varadkar's already under a guard investigation. This is like Obama's 60th all over the week. If these elitists believe the scaremongering they're telling us about COVID, 
they wouldn't dream of attending these super spreader events, would they? Interesting point, Richie. If we're to believe all the things they've been telling us about, what were they doing at an event like that in the first place? Uh, the public did speak at the last election and people in power were not the choice uh, of the of the voting population. A radical change is needed and sorry, it's not going to happen anytime soon. As in, the people spoke at the last election and they put back in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Uh, they say there is no point in having power if you don't abuse it. And lots of people backing up what John Kearns from the Irish Mirror had to say yesterday. He speaks for all of us. Uh, I'm sorry. And other ones then with regards to uh, mother uh, talking about her 10-year-old son who came out as gay and the abuse. I'm sorry for the nastiness, the ignorance, the uneducated comments you received. Unfortunately, we still have a lot of these people in Irish society. Um, fair play to that mother. My daughter came out as gay at 18 last year. We encouraged her to come out as we always knew. She's such a happy person now. Hiding it must have been so difficult for her. And it was the people you least expect the over-the-top reactions would shock you. Um, well done to that amazing mother. She's doing a great job for her son. Not every LGBTQ person has that kind of wonderful support. And one final one. She sounds like an amazing mother. She's developing her children to be strong, individual young men. Unfortunately, ignorance will never die in this small-minded country. I, for one, am proud of you and proud of your son. Proud of both sons, I suppose. Absolutely, who wouldn't be? Lines open at 1850, 104, 106. Back to the phone lines we go, because this is interesting, because the Lord Mayor yesterday was saying he was going to give a half day, um, and I was trying to encourage him to make it a bank holiday Monday, a long weekend, if Cork won the hurling final. Because Lord Mayors used to have the power, and probably still do, to give half days. But it prompted a text from Evelyn. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. And you said by text, do you know that it was me that introduced the half days to all girls' yes, schools in the 70s? Tell me all about that's that. correct. It was Cork and the All-Ireland. I think I was nine or ten at the time. And I was in Turnus Cross Primary School and the head nun, um, Sister Madeline, came into the class to say if we knew anybody on the Cork team to ask them to come in and give us a look at the cup. <laughs> Was this so, football or hurling? It was the football, I think. Sam Maguire then, okay. Yeah. 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 So, of course, phrase way what came into my head is that we'd get the half day because it was always only the boys that ever got that, you know? What? It was any time up to the time that I got it, it was only ever the boys' school would get the half day because the teasing would always go on and go on go back to school and, you know, that sort of thing. Wait a second, so, I just want to talk just for a moment on that. The boys would get a half day for what? If Ireland, if Cork won the All-Ireland? Cork won the, won the All-Ireland, be it hurling or um, football. All Cork boys' all, schools would get a half day? Absolutely, uh, up to that, the point that, that I got the girls the half day. And was there not... Were people not annoyed or angry about that? Was there not commotion over it? Well, sure, you didn't do anything. So did you back then? I mean, that's what it was. And like it or lump it, you know? <laughs> Good that's God. Yeah. So that's so one, sexist. But just, that was going on for years. I think that's what you call it. It's only changed. It's like, over the last number of years. it's like being in the public sector working and having to leave your job when you got married if you were a woman. Absolutely. That was it. Nonsense. But, yeah. But once Sister Madeline came into the class... I heard, like, if we knew anybody, straight away it was Charlie McCarthy for me because he was around the corner for me. And I was in half day. So the match was on, and needless to say, we were glued to the telly and we won. 
half an hour later I'm up knocking the trolley. Was that against door. Kerry or Dublin did you recall or anything like that? I, I couldn't recall. Alright. Being honest no I couldn't. But up around the corner Charlie half an hour after the match finished knocking the door expecting him to answer it you know come down to the school tomorrow and no answer and every half hour I'd be up and knocking at the door until it was time to come in to go to bed. So half a day the following morning one last knock and there was no answer. So I'm saying how can I get him to come in with the cup and I decided at the 11 o'clock break I would run into the boys' school to Brother Basil and tell him Sister Madeline wanted the team to be brought in um, to the school. That, you know, we were going to get a half day just as much as the boys. So the boys, the team came in, we got the half day, off at home, happy, delighted with ourselves. The kids, like my brothers and sisters, told my mom, like, everything got us a half day. <laughs> They were all left out. I was told stay in and whatever. Stay and in the house? Oh, to stay in, yeah, because <laughs> of what I'd done. I shouldn't have done it. And, oh, God. You know. You were a little so then, trailblazer. <laughs> that was it. So then I thought it was going to be a big trouble with my father and I was hiding then uh, for, for him for a while. And I remember that Christmas, my brother, uh, Mike, he got a wigwam and I knew the match was coming on and I said, come on, we go in and I'm lacing up the wigwam. And my dad said, get out here and watch that match you've got a half day for, <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> so I did. But years later, he said to me, he said, do you know what? He said, you should have got a plaque somewhere because you were actually in there for equal rights at that age. And I just looked at him and I said, tis now you say that. I know. That's all the hiding. And, you know, well, as they say, they used to shoot pioneers and probably still do. So I ever since that. then, then, whenever Cork won the ever, football or the hurling yeah. or whatever, um, the girls in I Cork got a half day. I stopped a couple of years ago because I think there's all different rules now with the schools with the holidays, the in days, out days and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, but they could make it up at later in the year, for God's sake. You know, for, yeah. like, for, you know what I was thinking? It's just thinking there, because you said Charlie McCarthy, because he played with the Bars, didn't he? I couldn't tell you that. He was, I didn't know that he was on the Cork team. Yeah, That's he was a full forward, I think. I think alongside probably Shawnee O'Leary from Yall and, and Ray yeah. Cummins from Black Rock. I think they were they were front. But, they were all around the same time. But Charlie McCarthy was a hurler. Was he a jewel star? Then he must, it must have been hurling, so... No, I mean, uh, listen, somebody would correct me, but my understanding of him up front was with a hurley in his hand, but maybe, I would have been yeah. quite young, maybe he was a jewel well, star. maybe he was hurling. I mean, we're going back over 40 years. Because up front was Charlie thing. McCarthy, it Ray Cummins. Charlie McCarthy playing, I was up and around knocking at the door, and obviously they were in Dublin, but sure, we were too young to know that they weren't back from Dublin yet, you know? That sort of thing. There was a dream team of hurlers knocking around at the time. Yeah, yeah. John Horgan from Black Rock with his long yeah. blonde hair and Dermot McCurtain out of Black Rock as well. Yeah. People, I'd people been around like, nine or ten at the time. Gerald McCarthy from the bars, a fellow player yeah. of Charlie McCarthy. But it's a great story. Are you, you know, and have you an interest in the hurling now for the All Ireland final? No, no, it is rugby is my game. <laughs> I love the rugby. <laughs> Anything rugby, I love. Uh, I would sit down and watch like hurling and football if I was with others. You know, the ones to watch. That's fine. Doesn't bother me. Well, I went but out. I, I went out. Yeah, I went out on Sunday at half time. It, to be honest with you, I was kind of cutting the grass, so I knew there'd be fifteen minutes, just enough time to cut the front grass, right? Um, yeah. And I went out, and on the Douglas Road, usually there'd be traffic up and down, and buses up and down. Yeah. Half time in the hurling. Thing. It was just deserted. <laughs> yeah, they sure everyone is glued to it. Unbelievable. They have a huge following, like, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Great story. Yeah, Listen, Evelyn, yeah. thanks so much. Absolutely. You changed the lives of women and young girls for the better. You should be proud of that. Well done.
Hang, hang on a second, actually, before you go anywhere. Let me just see if I can pull in line two here. I think I can. Paddy! Well, I thought you were giving me a surprise. <laughs> what would you like? I don't know, a surprise. I'd supposed to be surprised. <laughs> I have to look in my surprise bag. I don't know if I've got any surprise. Hold on a second, Paddy! Hello, Neil. Just, uh, are, you the hur- are you the hurling expert? Well, I'm not an expert, but I was there. Uh, Charlie McCarthy was captain in 78 when Cock won three in a row. They just call him Charlie's Angels. Was he a dual player? Because I remember him as oh, a hurler. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Just, uh, just hurler with Cock. And he actually, he worked with us. He, uh, he was painting for uh, offense construction. And Michael Flynn and John Flynn, when we were in uh, our Auburn Nuffin at the time, in Shrewsbury, and he bought the cup up there, and we went down to Ballots, Ballots Monday with the cup the following week, into the squash club there in Bellinock. 78 you're talking about, is it? 78, Matt and Dalton, he was captain in 76, Ray Cummins 77, and the great Charlie's Angels, 78. Martin Doherty was Glen Rovers, wasn't he, back in the Dream yeah. Team? Yeah, Ray Cummins, the Rockies, and uh, and Charlie's Angels and the Bells. So Charlie McCarthy would have been up front with Ray Cummins and Shawnee O'Leary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie, Charlie was right, right half out. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. So Evelyn, it was the hurling, not the football. But don't worry about that. Yeah, I remember what I remember about uh, when Evelyn was talking there about half days. I can never remember what she said because, like, the, the, the half days, the half days in school was always uh, after cop came to your school, you got a half day. <laughs> yeah, but the, gir- but the girls didn't get the cup. We it was the boys' schools, you see. Oh, I know the school got the half day. Yeah, but if it was a girls' and, school, and I think everyone wherever the cop came, you got a half day. Yeah. If it was a boys' primary or a boys' secondary, well, it was only ever boys that went to it never came. Oh, to the well, well, Neil, I I don't know because the cup was always in the city, boy. Right? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so we we, we 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 didn't do very well over the place. Well, at least Evelyn got the visit, or at least the half day, if not the visit, for the Sam oh, Maguire or the Lee I McCarthy went down for cup. Years. Well I don't done. Well, so yeah. Well, well so we wanted the two yeah. cups anyway, so we weren't too bad. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. That's true. We can yeah. claim him in one way or another. All right, guys. Thanks so much for that. Cheers. Well, Take care. Thanks, Evan. Yeah. Neil, are you giving me a surprise? I'll give you. Um, I'll give you an Oak Fire Pizza voucher just to shut you up. Perfect. And well, a, well, done, well done, Evelyn. Getting right. the pizza. No, <laughs> You're out in ovens. You can fire it in the oven for and cook it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Evelyn. I'll organise a pizza voucher for you. A couple of sides from Oak Fire Pizza. Hold on there and we'll get a postal address from you. More on this and a lot more besides. I just want to stay with sports, actually. I'll take a quick break because I want to move from that to um, a fabulous story, actually. It was because I was talking yesterday about women boxers. Remember I was saying with regards to, say, Kelly and her fantastic gold medal, but that way back in the day when Kelly Harrington started boxing and wanted to be like Katie Taylor at the gym that she was in um, only had one loo it was a rickety rackety old one and it was only for boys so more back on sexist issues after these talk to Neil Prenderville now 1851 Red FM I suppose it was the dream era to a large extent wasn't it notwithstanding the three in a row that we had some years later but when we were talking about the 70s and Charlie McCarthy's uh, Interesting, because uh, Seamus sent me some stats, actually. Born, Tower Street, Cork, age, 
74 going on 75 height 5 foot 7 inches nickname Cheeky Charlie occupation painter and decorator club St. Finbars Cork titles 5 Munster titles 4 All-Ireland titles 2 in fact Charlie McCarthy's career tally of 24 goals and 149 points ranks him as Cork's 5th highest championship scorer of all time so I pass it on and we pass on our best wishes to him be great to chat with him actually I don't know whether Charlie McCarthy would be up for a chat but you'd never know lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. you can text 0868104106 so to, to to live and to boxing live good morning Hi, how are you? You're, you boxed, um, and you heard me talking about Kelly Harrington when she started her career, uh, and it was uh, it was a fairly fairly depressing start for her actually, in in gyms that were dominated by boys, in gyms that only yeah. had a her gym only had a boys' toilet, and that prompted your text. So, thank you. What's on your mind? Um, so basically, I started boxing when I was thirteen, and um, I since left, but um, when I started, I was the only girl in the gym if I didn't ask for my friends to join with me. Where'd you box? Where'd you learn? Where'd you train? In the Glen. Okay. Well renowned. Yeah. 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 So you and your pal went? Yeah. um, I asked my friend from school to join with me because I knew I'd be the only girl. Why boxing? Boxing? Well, (laughs) my two grand uncles were in boxing. And um, my granduncle John was in All Ireland, and my granduncle Billy, who was his brother, uh, trained him. So they were in Brian Dillon's, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And were you encouraged? I mean, when was this? Was it recently? Were you encouraged by Katie Taylor's success or anything like that? Um. No, like when I was younger, I well, it was Katie Taylor really, and it was also my grandma. My grandnan was a, a love for sports and she since passed a month ago, but... Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. She loved sports and she, it was really her who pushed me. And then also seeing, like, the likes of Katie Taylor and how limited there was girls in boxing and I used to just love watching the boxing when there was girls on. Maybe it's the parents don't encourage girls to go into boxing because of the danger, because of the physicality involved and the injury, would you think? They'd maybe prefer if they did another sport, a non-contact sport. Well, actually, my mom was against me doing camogie because of an injury my grandaunt had when she was younger. Yeah. Um, so she encouraged me into boxing, and, and it really like it helped with. No, I'm not saying that they're right. I'm just wondering is that maybe the thought process? That, so, and you know what? With regards to hurling and camogie, way back in the day, there were no helmets or anything. They've all got helmets now, but yeah. You know, so she's probably right in that regard. Do you do you do you think that um, that you know, with regards to Kelly's success? Because I did read recently that there's been a huge amount of applications and interest in boxing amongst young people now, following Kelly's gold medal. Yeah, like my thing is, when I started, there wasn't much facilities for girls, and they only got a boxing club in my area was the Glen, and I'm grateful for the Glen for even having those facilities for to accommodate me, and. Um, like I've seen that there's still no facilities or limited facilities for girls and it's just kind of worrying. Do you think that, did you say that, that maybe clubs won't take a risk? Yeah, they, I, I don't think they're going to take a risk on what? girls because like there's this stigma around girls being weaker, you know, they're not up for it and 
that's just completely wrong. I clearly carried Kelly Hangdon and Katie Taylor approved that. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you know when you were in the Glen, did you have your own separate facilities, your own loo, changing it? Yeah. Own changing area, own shower, own um, toilet, everything. Did you box competitively? I couldn't because of medical reasons. So that's the only bad thing that. I missed out on. But you did it for fitness and mind and body health and things like that? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, listen, good to catch up. Congratulations. I think that Kelly Harrington is uh, is due home, I think, uh, and they're doing a... Tuesday. Is it yet today, isn't it? Some say it's today, yeah. I think. Is there a kind of a drive through Dublin open-top bus for her, something like that? Yeah, I think there's a big parade going on up in Dublin for her. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, okay, let it encourage others to follow their heroes then, right? Yeah, exactly. Hopefully more girls will get into boxing and, you know, there'll be more facilities available for girls in boxing because clearly there is a want for us, but there's not enough encouragement. Facilities and encouragements. Well said. Thanks, Liv. Mind yourself. Take care. Um, Much obliged. She's due back on Portland Road today, apparently. That's where she's from. Uh, Lines open at 1850-104-106. I didn't get to talk to uh, Councillor Des Cahill yesterday. He did did tweet or did get in touch with me, uh, you know, accusing me of more government bashing on the show yet again, never giving recognition to the good things that they've done. He's joining me by phone. Des, good morning. Morning, Neil. Yeah, well, I also had um, Senator Jerry Butler of Fine Gael on yesterday going some way to try and defend um, Merrion Gate and Golf Gate and things like that. You think I shouldn't be sure. talking about those things, is it? No, no, it's not that at all. It's that, you know, I think what we don't sometimes recognise is all of the stuff that has happened in the last four or five years that has been very good for the country. And... And like, if if anyone in the city can look across, no matter where they live, and they'll see stuff being built, be it for recreation, be it housing, be it, you know, in the city centre. I mean, the budgets that we have now, I'm in, I'm in the council 12 years. It's only in the last four to five years that we're actually being able to actually deliver stuff and have funding for stuff. Um, and, you know, there's a massive amount. Let me give you one small example, I suppose. In three years, there was 2,300 houses built in Cork. 1,600 of them were for the local authority. In three years? Yeah. yeah. But out of the total, so 65% of all houses built actually went to social housing. Yeah, but so to say that the housing policy, to say that to this, to say that to that all the time, you know, they're not built overnight, but there's no denying the actual fact that what's the numbers that are being built are extraordinary compared to the rest of the market. Yeah, I mean... That's uh, a good thing. Yeah, you know, well, at, way, le- at least some are being know. built. Not not fast enough to um, keep up with anywhere near demand. Not fast enough to keep up with the soaring rent increases that we're seeing where Cork City's rent now is averaging at €1,550 Euro a month. You know, this is this is the problem where... Yeah, but what's the, last- the solution? They can't actually physically build them any faster. Well, I mean, it's you look... It's government uh, fault. Yeah, well, you know, if you want to look at Cork City Council and the amount of derelict buildings that they should be looking at more, or the amount of over it's the phenomenal. shop, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about ones that you're turning. Around. I'm not talking about ones turning around. We're talking on the one hand about building houses. Thomas Gould mm-hmm. is saying we also should be looking at many of the buildings that are privately owned and over the shop buildings and places like that that could be turned around and also uh, be used for accommodation. But, but listen, I'm, I'm I'm not here to really no, no, argue and, and, the toss about how many houses. You know, the Cork City sure, Council. Just given the house as an example, if you look at parks, if you look at recreation, if you look at 
roads. If you look at just very simple, simple system, looking at estates resurfacing. Normally, there's five districts in the city. Normally, you might get two estates done per district per year. This is in seven districts, in seven per district. Well, at a time when people are crying out for housing, right, or crying out Mm -hmm. for proper medical treatment, or a man with long COVID there from Donnybrook a while ago, um, is it right to be spending 1.7 billion on the city to make it look prettier when people are desperate to find somewhere to live? Is it right to spend 350 billion? Is a figure that's probably over a 10 year period. I can tell you for a fact, over a three year period, there's a 500 billion budget for housing. 500, sorry, 500 million. And put it in comparison, the normal budget for the city council is 200 million a year. On top of that budget, there's 500 million over three years just for housing. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of it is changing North Main Street, South Main Street, changing the landscape of Bishop Lucy Park, working around the Grand Parade and things like that, which is all very lovely. We want a beautiful city. But I was trying to I was trying to work out why you guys and politicians right up to Leinster House don't prioritize what really is important. I mean, we heard this morning of these five high tech high tech robotic trees. They look like stacks of um, wooden pallets to me um, to clear to clear the air of pollutants, and it's going to cost you three hundred and fifty thousand a year to maintain them. Yeah, and it's the equivalent to I believe, and I don't know a whole lot about that other than what I. Well, why don't you? Did you not right? sign off on that? Like. No. They got 40-inch TV screens. They won't last peeing time. They'll be smashed. No, that didn't come. Um, If it came to a particular committee, I don't sit on that committee because I didn't hear about it until I saw it the last two days. Um, That, you know, not all decisions are made that affect Cork City Council are made in Cork City Council. But but these these things that are being installed have been called costly and ineffectual gimmicks. I mean, where do you get the money for that? Well, I don't... Well, who's calling them that? Oh, yeah. I mean, one person, if you look at some of the feed, and I don't take... I, You know, some of what you see on the internet, you believe, some you don't. They were given, why don't you just plant a tree? They're, they're the equivalent to 270 trees. But would trees not be better? No, no, absolutely. But there's more trees being planted in Cork than ever before. Much of the conversation it's, yesterday had to do. Had much in, of the conversation yesterday. Now where they're building. Oh no, it's all beautiful. One, I'm not knocking. Two thousand two hundred saplings being built. Yeah. They're being planted in one small section. I'm not disputing. So, that. I'm not you know, just, I'm so just. the idea. No, but I suppose part of the point of my text is that everyone wants to zone in on one particular aspect of something that they've heard somebody give out about and then that gets blown out of complete proportion. It wasn't out of proportion. It wasn't blown out of proportion whatsoever. Uh, Leo Varadko went to a lunch in, Leo Varadko went to the lunch in the, in the Marion. Other Fine Gaelers and what have you went to a golf outing up in the West and went to the dinner afterwards. Um, it may not have been against regulations or guidelines but it was against the spirit of what everybody else is being asked to do. Um, yeah, well, they're both different. One was against, the other wasn't. And I think but, you but, you, but you accept that Marion, the lunch in the Marion, was against the spirit of what we're asked to do. Well, then there again you go. Just because, so everyone has an argument, assuming it's wrong. Then when they find out that actually, according to the law, it's not wrong, then they'll change the language to go, okay, in the spirit of it. You know, like, let's, let's take COVID itself. Like last year, everyone was giving out about the Irish government, or about how they're handling COVID and comparing us to Australia. Look now at Australia. They're in an appalling situation. 
And yet, we're one of the leading countries now in the world with vaccinations. I understand that. But, I mean, I know that. But there were many other people besides politicians who were involved in that. There were frontline workers and there were the people who created and rolled out the vaccine. There were the people at the vaccine centres who got it done efficiently and quickly. Um, I mean, you can't give that to Leo Varadkar. If he is to ring the reception of the Marion to ask for advice as to whether he should go, does he even know what's going on at all? He absolutely knows what's going on, and, and uh, for his own brief, and, and uh, as a minister, he's absolutely at the forefront of funding most of the businesses that are having to be funded to remain open. And they're, you know, they're very. Um, so, but ju- but just on that, what about business? What about? No, I, under- I know they have to be explained further and so on. He absolutely is over his brief. That he would have to ring the Marion for advice. But I mean, a lot of people, okay, you can be in rules, but individuals and individual companies can make, can interpret the rule themselves. If they want to, if they're not happy with a particular rule, they will say it. And we still don't know, in fact, what that lunch was about, the Sapone lunch, or we still don't know who the guest list, who was actually on it. Do you know what the lunch was about? No idea. So, well, I, how would I know? I mean, <laughs> I, wasn't, I certainly wasn't asked to it. I mean, I, I don't know what the lunch is, but I mean, do we know what everyone goes out to, to dinner? To a, not to paid for the stage. Is, is that where we're at now? Where meant to, everyone's meant to put out a timetable of what to do for the day. No, I'm, no, well, we, we, do, we do know that it was cronyism where Catherine Zabone got the job. It wasn't advertised and she got it. It was a sweet little... A sweet little deal to saying, okay, well, look, we look after our own. If they don't get re-elected, we give them a job somewhere else. And then somebody within Fine Gael had the cheek to say, Asher, it's only 17 grand. No, 17 grand is a lot of money. But I think, that, I think what will transpire out of this is that whoever does get the job, who will be no more or no less qualified than Catherine Sapone, it will cost the state probably four times as much. Because the physical age, the fact that Captain Spawn is in the US, so the, the expense of going to the meetings won't be incurred, whereas it will be for whoever they appoint now. People are sending out resumes and CVs constantly and they don't get a response from an employer. They don't even get an acknowledgement. Um, on, on that point alone, all jobs should be advertised. All jobs by the state should be advertised, shouldn't they? It's a respect thing. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think this this will be, let's let's have a conversation in six months' time when this other person, whoever it may be, is qualified and let's find out how much it's actually going to cost. So, you know, there's no doubt that it should have probably gone through the, my understanding of the Department of Foreign Affairs, do the appointment, and then it gets ratified by the, by the ministers. But now, but now they've circled the wagon. here was that it didn't go to the ministers and it was announced. That was obviously incorrect. But, it should have gone as a procedure. Um, I know, but the net result will that be a gain here for for the country? Or well, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. You could say the same about Phil Hogan. You could be right in that regard. But what has happened now, though, is all politicians have gone to ground. That's the normal protocol, isn't it? Zip your lip, shut it's up, not. don't respond to me. If, if you look at the, the Martin has the, the, gone to ground. Yeah. Simon Covey has gone to ground. Leo Varadkar has gone to ground. Michael McGrath extraordinarily has gone to ground. He never did before. Well, did you not see Leo Varadkar's? I think it was really like five or ten minutes on. RTE news. Uh, yeah, and you, that's because that's, that's a very safe place for politicians, RTE. I don't think if you look at the commentator and if you look at the reporter, right. it's far from safe. Okay, okay. All right, accentuate. Yeah, okay. But, Neil, the bottom line is okay. Now, you know me, I'm very positive in my outlook. I think for people, it's better to look at the sunny side of stuff. Take pride in what's happening in the city. There's a huge amount of work going on. 
long overdue, but it's now we have funds to, over the last 45 years, we've got funds to do it. And you can see it on the ground to be done. Can we always do more? Of course we can always do more. But we should at least take a step back and acknowledge we're in a lot better space now than we were three and four years ago. Okay. Okay, I'll keep, a, I'll keep a close eye on these robot trees and see how long they last with the carry-on I'm on the city. Right? I only know this as much as you no, know. No, I'm just wondering how long it'll take before they're wrecked, but I suppose we shall wait enough to see. And the Marina Park is nearly open, as you've probably seen it, so it's looking so lots of stuff has happened in a nice way, and um, three All-Ireland finals ahead of us. <laughs> Let's tear up a small bit about You don't have hurling tickets, you know, knocking around. <laughs> no, right, no, okay. no. It's okay, it's I'm just asking. I'm just actually asking. It'll be scrutinised, yeah. <laughs> You'd refuse them at this stage, would you? Do you want to think twice, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> okay. Des Cal minding his P's and Q's back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. When is there going to be a new election? I've never voted before, as I can never see the point, but it's an absolute joke at the moment, and I want to vote ASAP to try and help get this current gang as far away from running my country as possible. Interesting, though, with regards to the lunch at the Marion, this is what uh, the Sinn Féin TD, Donegal Lera, had to say. He had a bit to say about it. I think this event tells us a number of things. I think it tells us very clearly that Fine Gael are in government too long. They've become arrogant, complacent and out of touch. Uh, and that arrogance is exemplified by Simon Coveney's interview uh, some days ago uh, by c- trying to call it uh, turning a, a, mount- a mo- mountain out of a molehill. Uh, it also tells us that the fact that they have been in government so long has meant that the culture of insiderism, of cronyism, has grown. Uh, and that is a perfect example, is a former minister approaching the government, a position made for them, uh, and that following on a number of days after that minister organised uh, a party at which government ministers were present. Uh, that kind of insiderism, that kind of cronyism that was behind that appointment is what's also contributing to the housing crisis uh, and some of the other challenges that we face as a society because they are more interested in looking after their friends than they are in ordinary people. There's still a number of very significant questions that Leo Varadkar has been dodging. Uh, Was the appointment discussed um, at the party that former Minister Zappone organised? What was the purpose of the event, the party, the meeting, whatever it was? What was discussed at it? And I also think that uh, you know, Mihal Martin needs to say a bit more as well. I thought his statement yesterday was very weak. Um, does he believe the account? Does he believe that the account given by Leo Varadkar and the Six News, uh, Six One News, is credible? I certainly don't. Uh, and does he accept uh, that? Uh, the, the Tanishta, who would have been central to the drawing up of the guidelines, uh, was unaware uh, of the situation. Uh, does he accept his explanation? Uh, and, it, you know, it does stand in contrast to the manner in which uh, some people from his own party, uh, he dealt with those in the past. And it's been interesting to note that uh, actually it's been primarily Fianna Fáil spokespeople have been out defending Leo Varadkar over the weekend. And uh, I think a lot of people will find that quite surprising. On the Marion Hotel debacle, do you think that uh, Michal Martin should be putting more pressure on the Tanish that potentially to step down, to resign? Well, I certainly think he. Uh well, listen, I'd like them all to step down and I'd like to see a change of government and that's what we want to see. Uh, so, look, hopefully he might do that. Uh, failing that, um, I suppose, 
what needs to be done. Like, I mean, he uh, he was certainly uncompromising with other former ministers. Uh, you know, the question has to be asked: Why is why is the tarnished different here? All right, arrogance, cronyism, and a uh, new word for me, insiderism. That's uh, Sinn Féin's TD, Donica O'Leary, asking for them all to step down, interestingly. Uh, text, the Healy Rays do what they like in Kerry and are answerable to no one. Of course they will survive this, it will all go away. Utterly disgraceful, that is, with regards to the uh, video footage and indeed the photograph of two different events in the pub in Kilgarvan. I have no problem with the people in the pub in Kerry, people enjoying themselves and having fun. Life is for living, says John. And just one or two quick ones. Talk about with regards to the match and the final and the All-Ireland and the hurling. Talk about getting carried away. They haven't won anything yet. It'll all end in tears, says John. <laughs> I mean, I mean, talking about negativity. It's 70 minutes, maybe a little bit more. It's anybody's game. How do you know that it's going to all end in tears? It'll all end in tears, all right. But hopefully for Limerick. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Uh, Councillor Descahal asked me who actually said that these... Um so-called trees are costly and ineffectual gimmicks. Well, the man who said that is a uh, Dr. Dean Venables, who uh, deals in atmospheric chemistry at University College Cork. And he told the examiner that these so-called trees, I call them so-called trees, that they may clean the air in the immediate vicinity of the tree itself, the robotic tree, but that it have no impact on overall air quality in the city. So it's a bit like a ineffective hoover that not only kind of hoovers up little bits and pieces, you know, annoying things like that, but, uh, you know, that anything away from the actual tree itself, nothing will happen. And that what you really need to do is to stop emissions and cut down emissions. And I think they haven't they done that with the traffic restrictions and the pedestrianizing of the city centre uh, more and more that, Maybe an off has been done already in that regard, but he's saying that it's a costly and ineffectual gimmick that will have no meaningful impact on the city's air quality, except the air quality around these five high-tech so-called city trees. So with the 350,000 a year to maintain them, and I'm assuming that what I'm looking at is the actual tree. It, I mean, it's, it's not still in its packing or anything or still in its casing. Is that what it looks like? It looks like a stack of pallets. Um, I don't know how long they'll last really or how safe they'll be but for 350 grand a year could you imagine the state of the art public toilets we could have inside in the city centre for that kind of money and that would have a seriously positive impact on city life and people shopping and pedestrianising and socialising in the city wouldn't it but we don't have those public toilets but instead we get five high tech robotic city trees your thoughts on that are welcome. 350 grand a year. Text 0868104106. Oh, can I also say to another great company that are also here in Cork and have many branches, O'Brien's Sandwich Cafe, they sent us a delicious tray of sandwiches for lunch to launch their new barbecue chicken melt. Um, and they are humdingers. If you're anywhere near uh, an O'Brien's, you might want to pick one up. It's the barbecue chicken melt with uh, Cajun chicken, Monterey Jack cheese, pulled ham, pickles, coleslaw, barbecue mustard on O'Brien's sourdough bread. How would they get all that into one sandwich? I have no idea. 
but I wish them well. I'm sure they're delighted to be to be back and hopefully thriving. Thanks to O'Brien. Lines open for all of the business. Text 0868 104 106. Back to the phone lines we go. And I will do some texts on my conversation yesterday with Tracy regarding her son, Stephen. But Steph, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Our 10-year-old son, uh, at the age of 10, he's 12 now, he, he came out and sat her down and, and told her that he fancied boys and not girls. And um, apparently the response from some sections of society and the homophobic abuse that she got was just... Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Ridiculous. Yeah. And, th- and that was your point, that it's um, it's astonishing that there are people who still think this way. I saw a couple, I saw a couple of the texts actually I, yeah. yesterday. How are we still doing this? How are we still ridiculing people for their sexuality? How? Like, this is 2021. So much things have come along in the world and this is still a point that's being brought up. We, we, we voted in same-sex marriage. How are we still ridiculing people for their sexuality? Does it amaze you as it even did me yesterday? Emma showed me a couple of horrid texts that were comparing being gay with yeah. paedophilia. I am so angry about those comments. To say that those drag queens are paedophiles is just... I am i actually don't even know what to say about that because that's just so ridiculous. I, I just... I've seen comments about the way they were dressed being derogatory and that was paedophilic and, like... They were dressed no different to how I dress on a beach. Like, do you know what I mean? I, like... I didn't find any anything triggering about the way they were dressed. They're performers. That's right. When I artists. go on holidays, yeah. when I go on holidays, I make it. I make it my way to go and see at least two drag shows when I'm there. That's your thing. I always do. Oh, yeah, that's just your thing. For others, if it's not, then mind your own business. And mind your own business, like, and don't be calling them pedophiles. Like, in fairness, like that is just way too far. Um, I. I shared the I shared Tracy's page last night on my Instagram, and I got a message from. Don't want to know. I don't want to know who, because I see yeah, the message no, no, myself. No, of course not. Of course not. So I got a message, and it was said, "How does um, he know preteen that he's gay?" I says, "Well, the same way that you knew that you were straight when you were preteen, we all had." We all had sexual urges. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we, we know. I, I feel like I knew my sexual orientation by the time I was twelve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I mean, like then there was another another comment that was made um, that he's confused, which I think is just a disgrace to say that. I don't think people should be saying that at, the, at this day and age that people are confused like that. Like. I know, I know people who... And where would they think that confusion comes from? Social media, what they see online, what they read about? Um, That's what I don't understand because, like, being, like, a child coming out as as gay is very, very difficult. It's difficult enough. And, like, I'm sure, like, I know there's suicide links to because people have been too afraid to come out. They've I've spoken to numerous young boys actually who have um, uh, attempted to take their own lives because of this. Isn't it? Isn't it just? And they're just the ones. They're they're the ones that have survived it. Thankfully, could you imagine those that actually did take their own lives? It's just so. It's just so sad. And like as I'm saying, it's it's very hard for a child to come out. I don't think that 
they're going to come out for the crack. You know what I mean? Like, it's not it's not something that a child comes out and says, I'm gay, and then a few years later, maybe it happens. I Like, I, I've never... I've never seen it happen. Anyone I know has come out gay is definitely gay. I've never had anyone I know come out as gay and then a few years later turn around and say, but oh, maybe, I was actually confused. But, but, may, but, but maybe, but even if they do, even if there was confusion or even if they Why explored it, it for a period that? of time and decided, well, actually, you know Why what? Is it a problem? What? What big deal? Why is it a problem? Yeah. Okay, I mean, you want to change your mind and say, okay, well, listen, actually, I'm maybe I'm bisexual, and you know, actually, you know what? Yeah, I actually, do fancy women here, after here. all? Like here, here. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> exactly. Like um, the other thing, then, that I, 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 I remember, like when I was in school twenty odd years ago, I remember kids saying, "That's gay. You're gay. This, that, gay," and like. Still being used, incidentally. That's so gay. Like, I just, I just can't. I can't. I can't grasp it, and I'm actually glad I can't grasp it because if you're going to go online and you're going to talk about a child and how it, all this paedophile stuff, you've actually got something going on up there that you need to get checked because it's not. There's no form of bullying should be. At the end of the day, this is a twelve-year-old boy. And he's he's probably still seeing he's seeing all of this. He's online. He's I I, ho- I, t- I got the impression from his mother that he he doesn't know. But then again, I don't I don't know you know unless he has. Yeah, told I her. don't know. Like, but I mean, like they have access to There's online. Access, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just but, hope he know, doesn't have a difficult journey. You know. I I don't think so. I think um, his mum is quite um, uh, like I know her myself. She's quite. Uh, she's very very. <laughs> I mean, come on, she. She's come on the radio yesterday yeah. to uh, back him up. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just can't get over the fact that the, the, the victimization, the harassment, the rejection that gay people receive, like often, more often than not, like their families will reject them. I know a guy who was rejected by his family. His family tried to bring, uh, get him to go to um, therapy to ungay him. Yeah, like, I know. What, I've heard of that. What yeah. is that? Yeah. Like that's if my son, I have, I have a son. He's seven. If he came out to me in a few years and told me he was gay... Was, I, is that was, called gay correction therapy or something? There's some term for that, isn't there? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Like, like imagine someone, Neil, putting you into therapy and saying you're actually not straight, you're gay, and you need to, you need, you need to, you need to sort that out. Yeah, I know. I, I, think that it's like, a, I think that it's a long journey, you know, and um, maybe I've got a few years on you, but it's a damn sight better now. I know social media has screwed it for many people with the bullies and the trolls uh, it, yeah, and the thugs. It was but, a lot worse. But it was much worse 40 years ago, you know. God yeah. almighty, it was terrible. It was awful. I think, like, as a, I, when I was younger, I, w- I won't deny it. Like, when I when I was very young and I first uh, come to, like, you know, there wasn't that much gay around when I was, you know, very homo- homosexual. Like, I didn't know that much about it. Obviously, you don't when you're young. And I was like, you know, it, it it did shock me, and I didn't understand it. Now that I understand it, I I love. I have gay friends. I have gay family. I myself am not fully straight, so yeah. like, yeah. I don't. Uh, I I I just don't understand why. Um, I just don't understand why this is still happening. Like, it's 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 so sad. Listen, thank you for that. Got a lot of texts on it. Good luck to you. Enjoy the day today and get some sunshine if you can. Appreciate it because we all need sunshine in our lives. And I mean that with regards to everybody trying to get along and be happy. Cheers, Steph. Thank you. 
Thanks, Neil. Thank Leo you very says, much. People are afraid of what they don't understand, but that's no excuse. It's very ignorant in this day and age that people feel they need to attack others based on their sexuality, which has literally no effect on them. Stories like that are heartbreaking. Margaret says, you're an amazing mom, Tracy. Your sons are and always will be proud of you. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's our job as parents to support our children no matter what. It's a privilege to be in your child's life if you're a parent and if you're, if you're a parent or otherwise you're parenting uh, well. Um, thank you for that. You're a great mum supporting your son as a mammy. Once your child is happy, that's all that matters. I bet he'll get through it with your love and support. It's no one's business. It's a shame in this day and age there's still so much hate sending hugs. Well, there's, a, there's an awful lot more tolerance now, acceptance and, um, you know, I think more of a welcoming society for all issues regarding sexuality than there was years ago. Unfortunately, what has happened now is social media has given a platform to the thugs and the abusers who were always there even back in the day to have their voices heard. Now, a lot of the time, they're behind fake accounts with silly names and what have you. But as uh, Tracy was saying yesterday, some of those she knew um, were saying nasty things. Lana, uh, uh, Rona says, uh, I love the fact that he was able to speak to his mum. She must be doing a fantastic job. People should mind their own business. And just two more ahead of the break. Well done, Tracy. It's a disgrace that still, this is still happening. These nasty, horrible people clearly have nothing else going on in their lives if they're targeting young boy and his family. You keep being you. And Anne-Marie says, disgrace. I can't believe people are so ignorant in this day and age. He's a child, for God's sake. He's very lucky to have your love and support. You know, absolutely, 100%. Um, I've got a lot more of those texts, but I'm happy to say, happy to say that the vast majority of the... I did see one or two nasty ones, but the vast majority are just very kind, considerate, and supportive. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Breida, good morning. Uh, good morning. Now, I'm not sure as to what train it was. Had it anything to do with the weekend? Had it anything to do with uh, Cork people travelling to and from the hurling? Um, no, no, not at all. No, it was the 1800 train um, from Dublin to Cork on Friday. Friday, okay, okay. Yes, you, were yeah, coming, yeah. you were coming back on the 6 o'clock train from Dublin. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah um, got on the train at um, Houston and... Um, I got on the first coach behind the um, behind the driver, yeah. you know the coach the engine, seat. Yeah. and um, um, just before we took off, about five to six, um, a group of young people, uh, probably aged between twenty and thirty, uh, came on the train, um, no masks, and um, they all wanted to sit together. So they removed all the you know the signs where you couldn't sit. Did they? Yeah, and um, they all sat together and I was in the next um, seat to them and um, so took off and they were um, quite loud and never put on their masks at any stage. And when we, uh, about 20 past six, I tweeted Ian Rodearn and um, complained about it, reported it, and they quickly replied back, uh, what coach would I in? So I told them where I was. And then they... Um, Good job to respond to the tweet so quickly, I will say that. Absolutely. Well, that's the only thing they did respond to. And um, they tweeted back um, that it was being uh, reported to control. Um, so it continued on. So I looked down the carriage to see could I go to a, a better seat. So it was it was grateful. So at Bally Brophy, I got off. I just changed, went further down. I felt safer further down. Right. And then um, 
they continue to walk and do- up and down the aisle all masked. So before um, Limerick Junction, um, they were absolutely no. It was full party time, and um, so I went up and I just said, "Would you please put on your masks? You know, if you're going to go up and down the carriage, please put on your masks." So one of them, uh, he was English. Um, was quite abusive. There were multinationalities, actually. There was Americans, there was Italians, there was English. I think there was some Irish. They weren't the loudest, I can, I can tell you. I'm not defending them. Um, there were Asians. And um, so... One okay, so that, that is, like, people from all walks of life and all nationalities, let's just say. All nationalities. When you say yeah, there was a... the same age group. When you yeah. say there was a party going on, it was a drink. Um... I would not. I would not one hundred percent attest to it because I didn't go down. And All right. So just loud. No, I could not. Yeah, just loud. Yeah. Loud and shouting and roaring and laughing yeah, and joking yeah, amongst each yeah. other. Okay. But definitely no masks and all sitting together. And what did your man say to you? Mind your own business, is it? No, he he said if it doesn't effing suit you, just get out of this carriage. And um, I just I saucy I boy. Very very saucy boy. He was definitely English. And um, I will, like, I, I was absolutely appalled. Um, and as as much as I was appalled by their behaviour at this stage, I I was gobsmacked that there was actually no um, checking out. Nobody had checked out tickets, and this was practically into Limerick Junction, and there was no che- nobody had come to to check out tickets at this stage. And even up to Cork, I didn't see anybody checking tickets. My ticket was never checked. But any time that I've been on the Dublin train, and it hasn't been, it's been a long time now, um, obviously, but my ticket is always checked on board the train. Yeah, my ticket was checked on the way up on the 9.25 in the morning. It was checked on the way up. There was not a single person checked in our carriage on the way down. Did anybody at all in an official capacity walk through the carriage? Not at all. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. No. So I got... I was, um, I don't know whether I was so upset or I was angry. It was a mixture of both. I rang the guards and I wanted the guards to meet the train in Cork um, because I just felt that, you know, these this group of young people are going to just get off the train. They can just go within and behave. If they behave, um, you know, continue to behave like this. I mean, we're never going to get out of, out of the the this horrible situation that we're all in. I know that, yeah. It's the and, 18 um, to 34 year olds now and a lot of those clearly haven't been vaccinated yet, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But they're well, the I ones... Well, I don't know about, uh, you know, as I say, they, they were definitely multinational, you know. They were, they were, I mean, I don't uh, see, I don't necessarily see the relevance in that. It's the age group, really, that you're talking yes, about. They're the yeah, ones that are, yeah. are 20, now are testing to positive. 20 year olds, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, if, interestingly... One in five of the cases we're getting at the moment are people who've been vaccinated already. So it reminds people that even if you're vaccinated and COVID is a worry for you, it's not a worry for everybody, but for those that are, if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID and pass it on. Yes, I've had a relative recently who's had, yeah. uh, who got COVID after, after two Pfizer jabs. So yeah. you, ra- you yeah. rang the guards, yeah. I rang the guards and I was told, I was asked for what I was wearing, my own description, what carriage I was in. And um, did I want the guards to meet the the train? And I said absolutely yes, uh, because I got uh, there was there was nobody had come into the carriage from Ian Road Aaron, and uh, I said absolutely. And she said, "Where are you?" I said, "We're just leaving Limerick Junction." And when the train get to Cork, I said, "I'm 
kind of beyond calculating those those times now. But I said, I'm sure we have an hour anyway from Limerick Junction. And um, when we got to Cork, um, so one Asian boy did come down and apologised to me and he said, I'm terribly sorry. And I just reacted and I just said, you know, it's, it's appalling that we've carried on. And I said, I have rung the police. So when I got off the train... We he walked off then, did he? Was he? The guy that came down, was he wearing a mask when he came down to you? No. Oh, sorry. My apologies. He was. Yeah. He was. Okay. Yes, he was. All right. Yeah, so he had a bit of cock on yeah. anyway, in fairness to him. Yes, he, yeah. he, yes he, he was, yeah. All right. Um, so when we got to Cork, they were jeering me then, getting off the train. Oh, where are your Irish police? Where are your Irish police? And... Um, wow. So I just... I just got off um, I went into my car now they were definitely a group and you have to book online and there's CCTV on the train okay so how did you feel about being jeered um, I was I was I was very angry I'm not used to being jeered you know um, I have a business here in Cork and I have I have never ever um, you know witnessed anything Irish Rail need to be putting the safety of their passengers first at all times because that would be their mantra. I I actually actually tweeted to them again. I said, if somebody picks up uh, COVID as a result of of their, you know, bad behaviour and the reckless behaviour of here in Rhode Island, not having anybody on the train Yeah, but the the rudeness of it all. What was it your man said? If you don't like it, F off out of the carriage. If you don't like it, he said, F down to another carriage. No, it's wrong on a load he of was, He was standing, I had, to, I had to go back because he actually came right up, right up to me. Anyway, there were no guards. Oh yeah, it was intimidating. Oh, extremely intimidating. And that's why I rang the guards. Um, you know, I said, if this bully boy now is going to get off the train and behave like this wherever they're going, I don't know. I have no idea where they were going. God only knows. You know? Party or God something. God only knows. Coming down for a party. God only maybe. knows. Yeah. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Who knows? We'll never know. So no Garda were there when you got when the tra- to meet the train. No Irish Rail um, staff walking up and down the carriages. No. no tickets checked and no intervention when you tweeted Irish Rail twice. No, absolutely not. No, no. The only I had the reply that it was being reported to control. Yeah, but control is the system where the train could stop at any station and could be met by guards or. An official could meet them, you know. And that's what it's about. It's it could be dangerous. That was just that was that was just uh, twenty twenty five minutes out of Houston. I tweeted that. Anybody else bothered by it besides yourself? Um, I was absolutely. I was. I was more nearly as gobsmacked by all the men that just sat there, and I just you know to to um, you know uh, looking and listening to Doctor Tony Hulan. You know we're all. Uh, supposed to take personal responsibility, but we're also supposed supposed to take personal responsibility when we don't feel safe. Yeah, I, I just I look at that in a different light when I hear of personal responsibility. Michal Martin's gone on about that a lot, but I don't see the personal responsibility with regards to the well, Marion launch. I had you a know, personal responsibility to report. No, I understand that, but I think that those yeah. that sat around and did nothing, many of the men, as you described, yes, um, that's were, that's yeah, fear. Yeah. Like that, that's fear of not wanting to get involved or not wanting to get hurt. And they weren't they weren't elderly gentlemen, you know. There there was there wasn't anybody really elderly. I suppose I was probably the oldest okay. person in the carriage. You think that someone else should have intervened as well? Um, well, I certainly I I wouldn't have have you know thought about that too much. Um, you know, if you're lily livered, you're lily livered. 
you know, and that's about the size of it. <laughs> but I would have thought that Erin or Erin should have had somebody more than the train driver on the train. Surely there was staff on the train besides the man or woman driving it. Well, there were eight carriages. Okay. All right. We would force carriage. I'd be interested yeah. to see what Irish Rail say because we will ask them for a response to this, but I think it'd be one of those standard kind of uh, press responses that you get that we take our customers' safeties first, blah, 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 blah. I don't know how they could defend this, but I'd be interested to see what they have to say. Absolutely. There was no assigned seats. You had to book online, but there was no assigned seats. You know? Um, nobody checking anything. Um, and as I say, you're going to in for just a cup of coffee and you have to show your digital cert. I know, yeah. I, I think trains seem to me as if they're, if what you're describing is, is commonplace, um, that's a worry, you know. I know the Lewis is a big problem up in Dublin. Thank God we don't have that. Um, but certainly trains could be spreaders, you know. Well, you're on the train for two hours, 40 minutes. And I mean, if they're sure he can stay airborne for a lot longer inside in the carriage. With this bunch inside in the carriage with you and in an enclosed area. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's see what Irish Rail have to say. But thanks for sharing the story, Brida. Not a bother. Okay. Cheers. Thank Take you. care. And well done right. you. Thank you. Text 0868104106 if you've been on trains recently. How's it been for you? one 104106 Back to the phone lines we go. I was talking there earlier on about the... Um, the trees that City Council, they're not trees, we need to stop calling them trees. They look like um, stacks of pallets, to be honest with you, um, or machia trees, as we'd say in Cork. But I got an interesting text there this morning from Mary O'Sullivan. It says, I'm in town at the moment, I was listening to you coming in. I just saw the new so-called robot trees. To be honest, they're, they're nothing more than a bunch of pallets. Uh, and when some clown climbs to the top and falls off and injures himself or herself... On a night out, we, the taxpayer, will have to pay when he or she falls and claims from Cork Corporation for compo. You never said a truer word. Thank you for that, Mary. Uh, Bill Dunley is at the community centre in Blackpool. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Meanwhile, um, you, we just discussed the robot trees and Des Cahill was saying, you know, I was saying, well, wouldn't it be better if we had real trees? But anyway, you, you wanted to pick up on that. Yeah, I didn't realise there weren't real trees, but... Uh, I suppose about six weeks ago in Blackpool, there was a whole wood cut down, you know, um, a whole wooded area that has taken years and years and years to come on. Um, Where? The, uh, between the Commons Road and Cushing Road, uh, you know, the house in Cushing Place there, yeah. and it runs parallel there with the houses on that side of the Commons Road. So was it a clump of trees or a gathering of trees or was it a, was it a line of trees on a street? Oh, a big line of trees, yeah. There might have been like four trees wide or maybe five trees wide. Uh, now, uh, I suppose there was complaints going, I believe, from people living on the Commons Road that the... Um, the trees were actually growing over the houses, right? Yeah, but that's why you topped them and cut them back. Exactly, exactly. But they didn't. They came in and they just cut them down. And there was a couple of foxes running around there for a couple of days trying to find their den, you know. Uh, and, and the birds. And the birds. It was right in the middle of the nesting season as well, you know. Now, we tried to get them, we tried to get them stopped. You know, the local councillors were involved in the whole lot. And the people on Cushion Road came out in mass. Uh, and the city council allowed the contractor to go through property that the council controls to get at these trees, you know. Only doing uh, his job or her job, I suppose, you know. Exactly, contracted exactly. to do it, go in and cut those trees. Oh, sorry, pal, I don't want to do that. Well, 
then you're not a tree cutter. He was only doing his job. Yeah, but the main people in the city hall were involved as well. They, with the parks department, there they were involved as well, and they they allowed it to happen. You know, it shouldn't have been allowed at all. What kind anyway, of trees were they? Do you know? I don't know, Neil. I don't know. Beech, elm, uh, something like that. You know, from a distance, you can see them from the fly, uh, from the bypass when you're driving through. It was just a beautiful nest of trees up in the hill. You know. And what do you uh, make of these high tech? so-called Machia trees. I tell you, I haven't heard, only just now, just before I came on there, that they were kind of Machia trees, yeah. They're I, not really. I, There's nothing. They, in no shape or form do they resemble a tree. They're like a stack of pallets. You know the wooden pallets? Yeah. I, I, Neil, I don't know. I, I, I'd be honest with you, I'm totally confused with the City Hall and the Parks Department in particular. I've been trying to contact the Parks Department in the City Hall for the last two weeks. Uh, we are doing a project there by the plaza there by Blackpool Church. Uh, we got boxes made up there and there's 18 boxes there. And unfortunately, we lost most of the planting there this year uh, with the, the hot weather there. And we're replanting it now with the help of the men's shed in Blackpool. Yeah. And uh, we're just looking for some topsoil and a few plants. And we just but your local councillors have, have personal funds for that. Do you know that? They have like ward yeah. funds. I know, I know, but there's a certain time of the year when you must apply for this stuff, you know. Um, but I, what I'm saying is like that the council, like, okay, you can tell me about the councillors and that. That's fine. We have good councillors in the area. But the council should take responsibility and at least help us out to do it, you know. Ah, yeah. I mean, you're looking for some help with potting plants, aren't you? Exactly. And, and topsoil, you know. Okay. Um, so we, we changed all the topsoil area this year and put in new stuff. Uh, we just need to top it up now again to replant it, you know. But we can't even make contact with somebody in the city hall. But getting back to the trees, Neil, um, they seem to be able to come in and do what they want, you know. And uh, I would suggest, please, um, ask them to replant this area again. And this time maintain it, you know. Okay. If they're willing to spend big money on these robots in Southern Town, surely they can maintain plants in Blackpool for, you know, very little money, you gotcha. know. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for taking the call. Bill Dunley, great worker, great community worker in the Blackpool area. Uh, I think these, these yokes or these machia trees, these robots, will be just a magnet for trouble, I think. I mean, uh, if I could find the positive in this at all, I would. But when you have somebody up in UCC, um, the likes of Dr. Venable saying that it will have, it will clean the area only in the vicinity of the structure itself and will have no impact on the overall air quality in the city whatsoever. You wonder why they would ever sign off on anything like this. I mean, keep those texts coming. What what would the city spend and what should the city spend €350,000 a year on? Okay, planting more trees might be an idea. Then they would take the carbon out because trees feed on carbon. Um, public toilets is another one. Um, somebody else texted more bins. You know, simple, logical things like that. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. We'll send some photographs with this email which I have in front of me here but can't refer to them in much detail because they would identify the workplace. But when you talk about homophobia, uh, morning Neil, I work for a large company in Cork. Two incidents occurred during the summer about me being gay. I worked in the company for a year and I've never told anybody about my sexuality as it's nobody's business. One day I was scrolling through Facebook on my break and I was watching a gay TikTok and then I overheard uh, people talking about me. 
Uh, I had to take a week off due to stress. Now, what they were saying about him wasn't kind, obviously. When I went back, I made a formal complaint to my employer and to one of the managers. I was asked to put up a... For some reason, he put up a pride poster. Um, and he was asked to put it up, I suppose, to, to, to show the inclusivity of the workplace that he was working in. So he put up the pride poster and it was defaced. Uh, and he sent me a photograph of the pride poster. His name is written on it. Uh, I won't give out the gentleman's name. Uh, I won't identify the workplace, but it, it addresses him by name in big, big black um, marker. And it calls him the F.A. Actually, they can't even spell because they, they spell it F.A.A.G.O.T tells you a lot about these type of people, doesn't it? They can't even spell. Should have been F-A-G-G-O-T. So it's got the word F-A-A-G-O-T and H-O-M-O. So that's what the poster was defaced with. Um, uh, My company investigated, but no perpetrators were found. Uh, The company I was contracted to work for uh, are doing their own investigation, but I haven't heard anything from them since. This was the first time this occurred, and then the poster was the second incident a month later. Please don't give up my name. I'd like to keep it private, but I have not returned to work. Uh, and these events have seriously affected my mental health as I'm in contact with mental health nurses every weekday and I'm seeing a psychiatrist once a week over it. It has caused me severe mental distress and suicidal ideation. I do not believe both companies are taking it seriously enough and it is extremely upsetting. Uh, please don't give up my details due to ongoing investigations. Uh, and I won't do that. But thank you for sending me the follow-up paperwork as well on the investigation. Uh, and the copies of the email back and forth and the photograph of the poster that was defaced where you were called abusive names. Uh, I, can under, I can understand, actually, if, it, if, if you were just, say, talking to me now one-on-one, I can understand why you're upset. I can understand why it's affected your mental health because who would want to work in a workplace at all where everybody else was being poisoned by a group of people, one or two or whomever, and saying unkind things about you? Who would feel comfortable or happy in that kind of a workplace. I mean, you would always be suspicious. You would always be on your guard. You would always be anxious, you know? So I can understand why you're going through that. Um, I hope it changes there. Unfortunately, sometimes people just move out of those kind of jobs, you know, and, and try and find somewhere else to go. But let's see how that investigation goes. You know, clearly, um, there should be disciplinary action there. Some might say that you should be sacked full stop. But um, do come back to me and let me know how the investigation goes. Lines open. You can always email just like that gentleman did, Neil, at uh, redfm.ie. I'm going to try and get a couple of calls on this side of uh, midday and then come back to a lot of texts and uh, emails from uh, today and yesterday in the last few days on tomorrow's program. I didn't even get to many of those people who were contacting me regarding vaccine side effects. Now, I did deal, of course, with long COVID earlier on with Martin's situation. I mean, his... His story would bring a tear to your eye. Uh, but if I can get more of the emails and texts on the air, I will. But I'm conscious of calls all the time. And jo- Josephine moved f- from Cork to Sweden. I think it was only a month ago. Was it, Josephine, a month ago? That's all, Neil, yeah. From, Just a week ago and today, from, like, actually. Kind of like from Mallow to Malmo or something, is it? No? <laughs> Similar. Um, from Mallow to Gavley. Or right. as they pronounce it here, Yavley. Okay. Why? Well, my husband is working here, um, so it was easier for me to come here than for him to be having to only come home every, we'll say, three weeks or so. So, yeah, our kids are all going up, so this was probably the easiest option for us, really, Neil, you know. Um, having said that, it's not just easier, it's it's, it's life-changing, really. Um, 
I, know, I mean, it's a place that I don't know a whole lot about apart from crime documentaries and dramas and the likes of stuff like that, you know, the bridge and things. Is it a nice life yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. They nice? Are they, are they absolutely- not dull, no? Um, they're different, I suppose. A lot of people are, are a little bit more different in that they wouldn't, you know, I suppose be very forthcoming in chatting, uh, you know, to strangers on the street and that. But many of them are, are that bit different now, um, a bit more open, I suppose, because um, the younger, the younger generation would have travelled a bit. So, yeah, if you maybe the older people struggle with someone saluting them on the street that they don't know, this it's not something that they're into, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to have to do a bit of work on that. No crack, <laughs> like. No, they are good crack. Um, we were at the bar on Sunday for the match and um, they were actually really enjoying the fact that the Irish were getting into the match. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand us. But you watched the hurling yeah. in Sweden then, did you? We did, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was absolutely excellent. excellent. Do they like yeah. hurling yeah. in Sweden? They have no idea what was happening. They couldn't understand this. Because <laughs> any time I ta- show somebody or people from overseas sees hurling, they think it's the most amazing game in the world. They're blown away by it. I think they were actually nearly afraid, you know? They were like, they didn't understand why they had all these sticks and people were getting, you know, slapped <laughs> about a bit. <laughs> They're handy hockey players, and we nice hockey players. On, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, is, is it it's completely back to normal there or what? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's absolute. Like, it's unbelievable, Neil. I came over here. Now, my husband had said, I'll race that, because he was here about a month before me. And um, he was saying, you know, you'll be surprised when you get here. It's, it's Everything's open. And I, you know, I suppose just couldn't believe it. And um, and I suppose I'm still pinching myself because, yeah, you go down the street and, you know, nobody's wearing masks. Nobody's wearing masks in shops. Very few. An odd person might. Um, the hairdressers are all open. There's nobody wearing a mask. Um, there's no such thing as social distancing. Swimming pools though, are open. Pubs are open. There's oh, no the swimming pool. Yeah, yeah I was walking. We bought our dog, and I tried to put dog out walking, and there's a swimming pool just up the road from me here now. And all the kids and their parents were all heading in. So I did get talking to a Swedish guy, and I asked him, "I said, is the pool open as normal?" He didn't know what I meant. He, he was looking at me, and I explained that at home they're not open. And, he said, oh no, we're here all the time and then every Thursday night they do saunas with candles lighting and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, life is going on here. Nearly Did they ever close down all of those things? I mean, there were some restrictions, surely. There were there were some restrictions, but nothing. I mean, there was no actual lockdown done. Like they no didn't lockdown. go after the vaccine as bald headed as we did, so they didn't? No, not no. at all. And in actual fact, last year Sweden had the seventh lowest mortality rate out of 30 um, European countries. And are there numbers now? Like, Do they quote the daily numbers or ICU or anything like that? No. Well, I don't I don't hear anything. I've got a, would you believe I met um, a girl that I have I never knew before in my life, but I came from Greenland originally and it turns out that this girl came from Balafihan. She's married yes. to a Swedish guy for the last 30 years and we've now become good friends and <laughs> But um, all because I saluted her like that. <laughs> the Irish, we can't stop saluting people. And, um, and she was blown away by the fact that I was from Cork. So um, talking to her, Neil, there's absolutely no talk of numbers or ICU numbers. I go to, uh, my, my vitamin B12 is low and I go to the clinic here for my injection every week and there's no such thing as wearing a mask. 
going into the clinic, nothing, nothing. Like, Do you have an option to get a vaccine if you want it? Oh, there is, yeah. Oh, there is the option if you want it, yeah. Are they yeah. taking it up like older generations, for instance? I think some people are. Yeah. Um, even, you know, yeah, some people are. And maybe some of the younger are doing it, but not. it's not... Um, you know what's really interesting? It doesn't seem to be the order of the day to ask somebody, have you the vaccine or have you not got the vaccine? I, I've, I've not had that question asked of me. People ask um, it here, though, and that's yeah. why I was touching on Jennifer Aniston yesterday, just walking away from friends, you know? Not the mm, TV series now, but her friends, because they weren't vaccinated. That's appalling. She, yeah. That's appalling, Neil. I mean, in all fairness, you know, if, if we were to go back um, to the time of the TB in Ireland... And that was a fairly serious um, disease, you know. And, you know, we lost, I know in our own family alone, we lost a lot of people um, through TB. And yes, nothing like that was carried. There was no such mentality. And that's the scary thing is the mentality of people. In uh, Here we are in 2021 and they're talking about behaving in a manner that wasn't behaved in. If we go back to the 30s, maybe, mm-hmm. or the 20s, it's, mm-hmm. it's disgraceful. But my own son had TB when he was 11, um, Neil, and none of the children nowadays, whether we all know it or not, were vaccinated for TB. Um, but my son, when he was 11, contracted it, and he was in hospital and then came home, obviously, and my two other girls. And I, you know, he was taken care of. I never picked up TB from him. My girls never did. I wasn't vaccinated against it either. And you know, it's all about common sense. Mm. It's all about how we... Mind you, and, and, and they had 14,500 deaths in Sweden. I don't know the population off the top of my head, do you? Mm-hmm. The population is much bigger than what we have at home. Oh, yeah. is it twice? So it's all... Well, you know what, now, Neil? I actually... And I should have the figure because I was discussing it. And unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I, I was discussing it. And, you know, our landlord here... Um, Oh, I, I was speaking with him. Now his English wouldn't be a hundred. Ten million. Ten million. They're actually they they are just flabbergasted at what's going on in Ireland. Along no, but you have twice the population, but three three times the deaths. You have, but Neil, you know, at the end of the day, the honesty of how the deaths are, you know, it, we're we have two um, coroners there in Ireland who are actually querying. The, how the deaths are being named um, and as in, died of you know, COVID versus died with COVID I know exactly what you're saying exactly yeah. exactly Neil yeah. and I was in the hospital myself back in April I had a stent put in my heart um, you know had had I contracted COVID and, and anything had happened I probably would have been a COVID uh, death whereas I had an 80% blockage to my heart I know, know yeah I know so, you know, it, it could have been any of that. But I suppose the thing that I'm most concerned about, and I, I'm concerned about a few things, but, you know, my daughter's gone to Wales as well. So when I moved here, my daughter moved to Wales and um, she's following her heart. And um, so she's chasing love. And, with a Welshman, um, yeah. With a Welshman. Yeah. And life is going on there just as not like she's off to a reggae concert. Yeah, um, I know. And, you know, Scotland, is, you know? Scotland has just... Got rid of That's all other correct. restrictions and all gone. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe it's, it's something to do with masks. The discrimination in Ireland. Maybe the masks um, are maybe masks are scary. gone in Scotland. Discrimination? How? Well, you know, you've just spoken there a while ago about that lad with the um, homophobia, and I yeah. actually 
you know, I, I, my heart goes out to that, that, that man. It's disgraceful. But there's also discrimination going on in Ireland and nobody's battling an eyelid at us, or maybe very few. So it's okay now. It's okay now to discriminate against a person because they don't have a vaccine got in Ireland. But it's not okay to discriminate against the sexuality, which I think, you know, it, we shouldn't be discriminating against anybody for any reason. But now all of a sudden we've got a new one and this new one is okay. It's allowed. It's actually been promoted by our government. So what's and, the better what's scary, the better scenario scary. then? To um, try and get as many people vaccinated as you can, but allow vaccinated or unvaccinated to get on their life together? Like they're doing here? Yeah. Like they're doing here? I mean, if I was to say, am I not, um, you know, vulnerable with a heart condition and, a, and asthma and, you know, I, I have a few different things going on, but I'm out in the public. I'm getting on with things. I'm looking after myself. Are you vaccinated? I take my vitamins. I've asked you no, a question. Yeah, no, yeah. No, you, I've not. just asked no. you the very question that drives you crazy. It does drive me crazy. And the reason I'm answering you really, Neil, is because it's insane to ask somebody with a heart condition to take a vaccination that could cause clots when I'm taking um, blood thinners here every day to prevent the same thing from happening. So, Was there any you know, deep part of your psyche at all worries, um, you know, when you were here and everything without a vaccine, being offered it and refusing it, that with your heart no. condition, it could, COVID could kill you? No. Okay. No, okay. no. And I'll tell you why, Neil, because I'm very sensible. I will take my, my vitamins. I will eat well and I will take care of myself. And I think we can all do that. You know, um, I, I, let, me, let me put it like this to you, Neil. I have a family member at the moment who isn't well um, and is in hospital and I'm very concerned. And I'm not 100% sure that that's not as a result of the vaccine. Now, I can't go into it because I'm not speaking about I know, but I, I could be here but for an I hour going through texts on, on people's side effects from vaccines. I know you yeah. could, and I, but I am actually very, very concerned and it's a genuine concern. I know. The other thing that I'm very concerned about, Neil, is that they're talking about vaccinating the children and maybe mandating that. But I don't know if you're aware of this. Nobody said anything about mandating. Um, you see, that's the problem with this. You threw in a word there. There is a talk there. of it. No, there is, well, but no. no, there is a talk of it for the children. And it has been said by the um, by the politicians. This isn't just somebody saying it. I, I'm very careful of what I will say because, no, anything that it hasn't been said or is maybe said by, you know, someone you meet on the street. Well, I, I mean, unless I've missed word. something somewhere and I'm across most of the... Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm bigging myself up here, but I'm st- I try and stay on top of it. I'm reading all of the papers every mm-hmm. day, and I haven't seen anybody saying, you know, that like what you can't go to school if you don't get a vaccine. Not that they didn't, they haven't actually come out with that, but there is talk that maybe we should mandate the vaccine for the children, and I think that even just that thought is dangerous. And you know, the HSE have a new brochure out. Maybe you could have a look for that. It's um, a COVID vaccine public health advice. It wouldn't be constitutional, though. It wouldn't be constitutional. I mean, I know the French have done stuff Well, what they're doing isn't constitutional, Neil. I mean, it's not constitutional to stop a person from going to work if they don't have a vaccine. It's not constitutional to stop somebody from going into a pub to have a drink if that's what they wish to do. It's not constitutional to stop somebody from going into a a restaurant to have a meal. Um, So really, our constitution right now has been rolled over. And we're all well aware of that. And yet nobody is actually doing anything about it. Okay, okay. People are fighting back. And when I was in Ireland, yes, I did attend the protests. And in actual fact, on that note, Neil, if you don't mind, 
there's a girl who spoke, her name is Catherine, she's um, a stage four cancer patient and that girl has explained how she can't take a vaccine but yes, yes, she's going to be victimised and discriminated against. Yeah, but there will come, I, I'm out of time for now, there will come a time when enough people have been vaccinated for those that can't or won't, it won't make any difference. We'll have, well, we'll have protection. Well, Neil, yeah. Maybe we need to, at another time, I wouldn't mind speaking to you again in relation to the um, adverse reactions because I have the figures for those as well. Okay, I'll tell you what you could do. Why don't you just bang me off an email on that stuff because I'll come back to it tomorrow then if you like. Yeah. Neil at redfm.ie. I'll do that. Okay, all right. Neil, thanks for that. Nice one, Josephine. Regards to you in Sweden. Thanks for listening and stay in touch. All right, cheers. Take care. No bother. Take Bye. Care. Back after these and then we'll wrap. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Lines to stay open at one 104 106 They're still giving me grief and razzing me about the sexy dolphin. If you weren't listening, you had to be there really. You had to be part of the program when we started. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.